Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. I should have stayed home and played with myself. What do you like to do? Oh, I don't know. Play chess. Screw. Well, let's play chess. The Indianapolis Colts select Anthony Richardson. Quarterback, Florida. Richardson going to take off and run. He's in there. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. The first career touchdown. Here's Halliburton into the front court. Mishandled it, but gets a shot. Hits it. Hits it. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I got to fire up an afternoon. Thank you all for joining us. James over there. I'm John. A couple of days on the road beginning tomorrow. A uh, tavern tour stop with Evan Williams coming up on Friday. Uh, The location lowdown for you. And uh, what you can win beginning tomorrow when we're on the road. All that coming up in uh, just a bit, too. Man, I I know we'll get into, obviously, a great deal uh, regarding the Pacers and that loss last night. There are are two ways, and it's okay. Like We live in a world now where everybody says uh, you're, you're going by in the moment and exact words. And I think we always have to keep in mind that I I understand you don't have to tell me that it's not the all-star break yet. That's okay if you're shouting, hey, even with this, with that loss last night, what, five of six or whatever it is right now, everything is going to be okay. However, in that moment at that time, with what we have witnessed around here most recently It is tough to digest that and believe that. So both can be true. Honestly, I would fully expect, and I mean nothing less, if this team gets to full strength, and whenever it gets to full strength, for them then to be what we thought they were going to be. I fully expect them right now, you know, even as close. Like, I hear people talking about moral moral victories. I, I don't want anything of moral victories. I don't want anything, as you well know, of entertaining losses. But you can't explain these away. Like, there's a reason why things went haywire last night. It's like there were a reason why things went haywire on Sunday. Look at who you're missing, and then look at where things have gone wrong most recently. Late-game situations. Sometimes I think you're looking in the wrong place. Because this is about Halliburton. Everybody made so much out of this team and its depth. They are deep. But 
How can you replace that guy? That guy has, again, an effect on everybody around him. Everybody plays better around him. And then when you take that away, and this is zero against T.J. McConnell, zero against Andrew Nemhart. But it's just not going to be the same. And I fully understand that. However, I will tell you, when you have opportunities, and the Pacers last night, much like they did in Phoenix back on Sunday, had ample opportunities to do something about this situation, to really do something without Tyrese Halliburton that not a lot of people believe that they can do, and unfortunately they failed. Like everybody last night, you can imagine if you've gone to my uh, my X handle or Twitter handle, what that was like last night. Like people think that it's about defense at the end, and I'll get into that that final play and that three by by Jokovic. But this is, I'm sorry, this is about offense. Everybody, this team averages 125 points a game. This team has yet to score a win when they don't get above 110. Let's do the math. Do the math. And we have talked about this since day number one, after seeing that Washington game with the opener and then soaking up what this defense was about. There is no way that you're going to have massive changes. You have seen improvement. And the improvement could be good enough. Provided you continue to score on or near an offensive clip that everybody's used to and and execution in late game situations on both ends, meaning you get good shots, you get good makes, and then you get stops on the defensive end. You don't have to be the 1995 New York Knicks to be locking down and wrestling the other team you don't have to be like that defensively this team is improving defensively throughout the game but the late game situations and especially without Tyrese Halliburton it normally just doesn't work like last night even without Halliburton you could not have asked for better opportunities like people want to get all over miles and again we'll get into that that defense against Jokic at the end but everybody wants to get on Miles about that. Hey, the thing about Miles was being an over from three. He had a straight on, wide open look late in the game. Straight on, wide open. Like every like Denver struggles in guarding too. Jokic doesn't want to guard anybody. Don't want to guard anybody. He wasn't coming out at that moment. They were all sagged in in the middle, wide open look that you have to have. You guys are all looking in the wrong direction on this. Don't get me wrong. This is not a lockdown defensive group, but they are improving that when you combine it with their normal offensive output, you certainly can get wins. What they aren't doing is executing late. That doesn't necessarily have to just be making sure the ball finds the spot where it needs to be because they did that last night. Miles had a couple of misses. Neesmith had a couple of misses. 
both the, all those opportunities were all good. And they have to be taken advantage of given who you are missing. If you're not going to get above 110 and you're trying to break through in the win column, you have to have timely makes. You have to have a timely stop. They couldn't get any of it. Now, granted, they are going against arguably the best tandem you're going to find in the NBA. I mean, both of these guys, regardless of who has the ball, Jokic or Murray in a pick-and-roll situation or a pick-and-slip or a pick-and-pop or whatever, that's just ridiculous to try to handle. And we saw that last night. But you got to take advantage of those offensive opportunities. They got back in that game, too. Got back in that game. Your coach had been thrown out in the third. And by the way, we'll get to that as well. There was a reason behind that. I think you all can understand. A reason behind that. They got a horrendous call. A horrendous call that was overturned on Ben Shepard with the foul. I know what you're going to say. You could see Ben Shepard with his arm wrapped around Jokic. Uh, Listen, that was an illegal screen before the arm was wrapped. They always go with what happens first, don't they? They always go with that. That was an illegal screen that was a moving screen. They call that on everybody else. All these illegal screens that you see in the NBA, for the most part, and you go, wait a minute, was that an illegal screen? Those are situations where you, the, the, the player, will set a screen and then act like that they're moving to get the ball, like they're, they're cutting or diving or slipping to get the ball. But when reality, all they're trying to do is get some separation between the defensive player and whoever has the ball. That's what Jokic did. That's an illegal screen. That's not a grab on Ben Shepard. I don't know if they don't realize that or, or maybe there's some rule in the book that they're going by, that they're going by, you know, 100% the rule. But I, I don't know what it was, but that was an illegal screen. That was an illegal, they had the call right. Had the call right and then they reversed it. And and let's face it, there are no excuses here because, again, the Pacers had plenty of opportunities. But you stand around, and I understand you, you want to make sure you get the call right, but you stand around for 10 minutes. Really, at the peak of the Pacers getting their momentum is deflating. I mean, really what you do for Denver is you get yourself a timeout and you say, all right, here's what who we want touching the ball. If you remember in that first matchup, it was Michael Porter Jr., just three after three after three. But at the end of this game, you can just realize, all right, we're going to play a little two-man game up here. This is how we're closing right now. We don't have the same effect with Porter Jr. And, uh, and, and Caldwell Pope had a great third quarter, but it wasn't the same in the fourth. We're going to go with what we normally go with to get us a win, and that is this duo. We're going to play a little two-man game up here, and this is how we're going to go about it. And that's exactly what they did. You give a really good team all that time. And then, by the way, not only get the call, but then all that time to size up a game plan. Well, let's just face it, too. Without Halliburton, in a lot of areas, it it is just so massively different. You have to take advantage of every single opportunity that you create. 
but also every single opportunity that is created for you. And this is face it, the Pacers didn't do that last night. So if you're getting, for example, on Miles for the defense, uh, listen, I'll listen if you talk about him from the field or from three and late in the game. Because, again, without your best player, those are shots that have to be made. Have to be made. Everybody looks at the final play. It's just it's stupid, too, with the final play, because if you've ever understood anything about basketball in your life, you could just watch what was transpiring. The only thing I don't know about it, the thing that I don't understand was, if you saw that last play, so Murray has the ball right side of the floor. He's driving kind of wing extended. And Neesmith is on him. And then Miles comes over for what looks like to be a double. But I think you can also look at that as, was he, you know, was he switching? Was Miles switching and Neesmith staying? Or were they trying to double the ball out of the hands of Jamal Murray? Well, if their intentions were to double the ball out of the hands of Jamal Murray, then, all right, job well done. So what happens if you're Ben Shepard, you slide over from Caldwell Nope, and you make sure the MVP is covered at the top. However, if you watch, Shepard goes halfway as Miles was running across the lane and then returns. Miles going to Caldwell Nope, and there you have Jokic out there as Shepard returns to the wing and Caldwell Pope. And you get enough. I mean, Miles had a late close, but it's not good enough. I mean, listen, that guy's going to burn you doing that every time. And most of the time, just he and Murray will burn you in those circumstances. But that's what it was about. Whether you want to call it, you know, defensive confusion. Like I heard this morning, I think Sweebo mentioned, well, somebody fell, nobody fell asleep. I don't know if you would even call Shepard falling asleep. But if you're going to go double, arguably the best player in the world right now, then get your ass up there and double. All right, check that. Get get your ass up there and cover it. And I'm assuming that they were hoping that the ball would go to Caldwell Pope and that was going to be your game-ending shot and maybe a late closeout by Miles. But the whole thing, as I mentioned last night, it just looked haywire. But that's how it went down. It's not like, well, you've got to guard this guy, you've got to guard that guy. They were in defensive rotation. And as you saw, there was massive confusion. So, listen, nobody's excusing that. It was messed up, and you want it certainly to be defended better than that. But that's how that went down. The only thing that I don't know is if you have Jamal Murray with the ball, if they were legitimately trying to double the ball out of his hands, or if that was a miscommunication of a switch. But either way, that was the breakdown. And also, if you're going to get on anything, the shot making, those shot attempts were wide open. And you got to make them. You got to make them. That's how we talk about these situations, right? Especially right now without Halliburton, that's how you survive. You survive with that. We saw a lot of shot making ability the last time they won in Sacramento. A lot of bench dudes. That shot-making ability was the difference. And then obviously they built such a lead, then they could withstand 
the complete another foobar in the final two and a half of that game. But you have to make those shots. So if if you're going to get on 33, that's where you get on 33. The defensive side of things, if if you're saying, well, he fell asleep, you're just you don't know. You just don't know. And that's how that went down. And that's just how much better you have to be against the defending champions to get a win without your guy. And nobody is stating, well, it's a moral victory because you hung in. Believe me, nobody is more tired of that line than me. What you did last night is you missed an opportunity. And what this does, and we knew this was going to happen, when people say, how are you going to make up for losses at home to the Bulls or to the Hornets or to the Blazers, really the Blazers both home and away, the Raptors at home, how are you going to make up for a loss on the road to Washington? These are the times when you have to make it up. Home games against Denver, home games against Philly. Phoenix. And that was another missed opportunity. Especially when you have yourself in that situation. And you have yourself in that situation with arguably the best duo going right now. And you can't take advantage of it. That is what happened last night. So please, the, the whole defensive thing. Like I had some numbnuts that was sending me you know, 33 is going to be known for defense and rebounding. He shouldn't worry about his offense. I got news for you, Wooden. All right? If they don't get over a buck 10, they lose and lose every stinking game. So you take away 17 or even close to that number out of an average of 125, and you tell me how this goes for this team, Naismith. That's right. They lose, and they lose nearly every game. So if you're going to concentrate on something right now, the defense, to me, at least with an average for their opposition per game right now in the past couple is much better. Really going back to Portland is much better than it has been. That should be able to get you wins. It's just not going to be able to get you wins if you don't get above 110. Really, for this team, if you don't get past 120, then you're going to be in trouble most nights. So that is where their issue stands. Talk to Tony East about that coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, Bowen's going to be here from Sweebo in the morning in the 5 o'clock hour per usual. Uh, Rob Blackman of the Boilermaker Radio Network. Now, no problem with Purdue. You talk about you know the lack of execution, you know, defensive mix-ups. A lack of shot-making ability, all, all that, what the Pacers showed last night was absolutely counter in West Lafayette where the Boilers on the Peacock, the Boilers on the Peacock absolutely rolled up Michigan. And you can see Michigan and that whole program basketball-wise just kind of exit out the back door right now. It's over. And they get to live off the euphoria of their football team winning a national championship because, yeah, the whole basketball thing, man, it doesn't take much. doesn't take much for that group the way that it stands to absolutely go away. And the Boilermakers put it to them. I'm not ready to gauge. Like, people want to gauge right now, well, this is why it's different than it was a year ago. 
you can certainly on the surface look at it. You know, a guy like Lance Jones, for example. I mean, everybody wants to talk about, you know, Smith and lawyer. And I always tell you this. I think it's just me, but whenever a lawyer has a really good game, it it seems like that Purdue always wins. It seems like that their troubles happen at times. Well, let's just say most of the time because it doesn't happen very often when a lawyer has a bad game. So I always thought he was kind of the gauge. Maybe Jones is going to become that gauge. He is the guy from Southern Illinois. By the way, Southern Illinois, they got to be thinking, what? They lost that dude that's at Illinois right now. What's his name? Domask? <laughs> you lose that guy, right? I think he was a Saluki. And then that's trouble. And I think Southern Illinois is still pretty decent, so they had something working in Carbondale. But you add that to this entire equation, and at least for what he is worth to this team, the value of his team and that position, and what has been a shortfall in the past, you feel really good about. We'll talk to Rob Blackman about that coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Janet Jackson tickets we have. That date's coming up in June at Cambridge Fieldhouse. When you hear a Janet Jackson reentry, Caller number nine is going to get the opportunity to win those tickets. Rick Fusion, by the way, with the Pacers, is coming upon his retirement. And he's always been a really good dude to me. He probably thinks deep down that I'm pretty much a jackass, which is probably a foregone conclusion by many. But he has been, I think, with the Pacers since, what, 1984 maybe? I mean, obviously a local product. He's been the uh, chief operating officer and president of the Pacers since 2014, Pacers Sports and Entertainment. But he is a good dude, and he is getting ready to embark upon retirement. And that's coming up in June. I would really love to see this Pacer team just for the sake of this, and I'm not talking about them getting inspired by it, but for the sake of Rick, I'd love to see them do a little something fun in the springtime here because he has been as good as it gets at his gig over the years and always been nice to me, nice to us, whether it's here or at the other station. The Pacers Sports and Entertainment CEO, Rick Fusen. Shout out to Rick, man. Always been a great guy. He's going to retire coming up in June. So hopefully this Pacer team can get healthy, get going, and give him a special send-off coming up in the springtime around here. Because we've always said this, right? There's absolutely nothing better. We get kind of caught up and wound up and nothing better than this and nothing better than that. But really, the Pacers winning in the springtime – and especially when you get into May and you've got stuff going on on the track, those those were, were they not in the 90s, the absolute best of times. I'd like to relive those times again very soon. Salute to Rick. All right, quick break and we shall return. 239-1070 is the number. If you guys want to jump on board, you certainly can. Inside the AAA Membership Lounge via YouTube Live, those have assembled and we shall chat. Watch, listen, and participate inside the lounge via YouTube Live. The stream, the app, HD Radio, 93.5, 107.5, the fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. It's Jim Pimmer, now talk to him, damn it! 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. At tomorrow's show, NBA Jam, Michelob Ultra, me and Nick Baxter and the gang at the dugouts, our friends from Zinc. High score, the arcade game of NBA Jam is going to be there. The high score tomorrow wins just an incredible pair of throwback Nike Airs that are an original. You will love it, I promise. Little Michelob Ultra design on it. I have a pair, and they are outstanding. So before the Pacers take on the Sixers, I'd love to see you down at the dugout, Fletcher Place, coming up tomorrow with Michelob Ultra and NBA Jam. Now, you win those shoes if you get the high score, and then you're automatically going to the finals coming up here in a couple of weeks to play downtown NBA Jam against folks. We'll play downtown at Brothers, and the winner gets the NBA Jam arcade game and just an incredible amount of great concert tickets, too, coming at you. And again, with Mick Ultra, our friends from Zinc tomorrow, got another round to play of NBA Jam. We're at the dugout off of Fletcher here on the southeast side of downtown. Meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. He is the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers who had a – Pretty cush gig last night, I would suggest, at Mackey Arena in West Lafayette. 99-66, the number two Boilermakers over Michigan. Rob Blackman joins us now. So, get a bit of a Bronx cheer when Matt Painter decided not to get that thing over a hundy, huh? <laughs> yeah, it was... It was uh, it was a Bronx cheer. That's a good way to, uh, to put it. There, there was still time, obviously, uh, time difference, I should say, between shot clock and game clock. So, technically, yes, Purdue could have attempted one more shot to try to get to 100. But, uh, oh, well, I think 99 against a conference opponent will do just fine. And, you know, it, I'll tell you what, not to completely change the subject here, but Purdue offensively has really been on a roll here lately. Uh, 91 points a game in the last four games. And, again, that's all against conference competition. So uh, it's been fun to watch, that's for sure. Yeah, it's funny. It, just, it felt like last night with with Edie, it, um, yeah, it's, you know, it wasn't one of those games with Edie. And, it, yeah. I mean, almost you don't forget that dude as big as he is that he's out there, but everybody else is doing all that work in a blowout, and uh, it was unnecessary, his normal offensive output. Yeah, you know, so we're talking about four games in a row there where you're averaging 91 points, and three of the four, of course, Zach was getting a third of those because he had the 30-10 games back-to-back-to-back. And then, yeah, last night, just 16 points and 10 rebounds, which <laughs> that sounds it sounds so funny to say that, just 16 and 10. Uh, most years, 16 and 10 in the Big Ten would get your first team all-conference, and when he gets 16 and 10, we feel like he's had an off night. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. how dominant this guy has been. But, yeah, boy, what – I mean, you look at the numbers for Zach. Uh, he only scores 16, uh, yet the rest of your team has 99 as a ball club. And Lance Jones certainly was the story last night. 24 points for him. That's a season high. Uh, most he's ever scored in a Purdue uniform. And, and he hit five threes in a game. And he's really been – you know, if you look at the three-point shooting, John, which has been excellent. It, I mean, Purdue's number one in the Big Ten in three-point percentage at, at just under 40%. 
the one the one guy that hasn't been uh, I don't want to say up to par, but certainly not where the others have been is Lance. He's been at about 34% from three, which on a lot of teams, that's pretty good. But with this Purdue team, if you're not 40% or better, you kind of are the outlier. Well, you know, now all of a sudden Lance is starting to find his stroke. He's, I think I read where the last four games, he's like 41% from three. So now all of a sudden he's starting to come around three-point shooting. So, I mean, you surround Zach Eady with, with really five guys, uh, who are 40% or better from the three-point line, including Mason Gillis and Camden Heidi, who are both at 50% or better. I mean, holy mackerel, you're, you're really on to something. And, and Fletcher Lawyer, he's, uh, I don't know what his numbers were last night. He was, I think, two for three maybe. From I, three I think he was, like uh, yeah, two of three from three. I was going to bring that up. Two of seven overall. And I had talked last week with you about him being a gauge. And, you know, that, that gauge certainly did not, act as if I described it to you last week because he didn't have you know you know a, a great game single digit score as you mentioned you know from three and then two of seven from the floor overall so I think it kind of shot down my theory that I planted to you yeah. last week yeah and the, and the point I was going to get to there was his his and again I haven't added in the new numbers from last night but he was already at 53 percent in yep. big 10 games from three uh, so that number's gone up a little bit. So, I mean, you're, <laughs> that, that's been the biggest difference. I've, I've gotten this question, I think, a hundred times in the last two weeks. What's the biggest difference that last year's team to this year's team? The fact that Purdue now shoots the three ball uh, with efficiency. Last year, Purdue at 32% was one of the worst teams in the Big Ten, one of the worst teams in the country. And so it really became one-dimensional in so many of those games. Uh, Purdue was just going to have to hope that Zach Eady could literally outscore the rest of the, of the opposition now, that has not been the case this year. Zach Eady has been just as good, if not better, this year than he was last year. But now you add in the element that Purdue is actually making three-point shots, best three-point shooting team in the Big Ten. So uh, that that's the biggest difference to me, that the perimeter game, the perimeter shooting has just been so much better this year. Uh, it's just made Purdue that much more dangerous offensively. And, and I did see after last night's game that Purdue moved back up to number one in the country uh, in adjusted offensive efficiency per Ken Palm. So... If you're going to shoot 40% from three and have a guy like Zach Eady in the low post dominating in games like he's been doing, uh, yeah, you probably should be the number one team in the country in, in adjusted offensive efficiency. He's uh, Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You've been around this program, you know, obviously you, know, you and the late great Cliz for a long time. Is this consistently the highest level of play from a Boilermaker team that you have seen in your time, either, you know, being a part of it or actually doing the play-by-play yourself? Yeah, I would say for for an extended stretch, yes. yeah, yeah, uh, consistently yeah, speaking, I mean, sure. Yeah, you always have a few outliers where you're like, "Holy cow, were we good tonight?" You know. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I remember Purdue playing in a game against Michigan uh, at Mackey Arena. It was probably PJ Thompson's sophomore year, maybe, where uh, it was just back and forth, and Purdue played at a, at a level offensively that I thought I'd never see again. Now all of a sudden, Purdue's kind of doing that every single night. <laughs> so that's that's the biggest difference. They're they're just so much more efficient. The other thing too, and, and consistently efficient, I should say. The other thing, John, is Purdue has really, really done a better job in the last four or five games of taking care of the basketball early in the season. If you had one real major uh, bugaboo about this team, one Achilles heel, it, that was, it was that Purdue was being sloppy with the ball. That was a big difference maker in that loss at Northwestern for sure. But, man, you look at, you know, look, last night, Purdue, Purdue didn't have a turnover 
until the 11, I think 11.45 yeah. mark of the second half. That's crazy, bud. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, the entire first half, you didn't turn the ball over one time. Um, so their numbers have gotten better in that statistical category as well. So, uh, yeah, if you, I mean, if you're going to shoot like that, if you're going to have a player like Edie in the low post and you're not going to turn the ball over, uh, it, it makes for some pretty fun games to be a part of. And, and uh, yeah, that, they have been fun. There's no doubt about that. Right, what hasn't been fun normally really for anybody is when they play a game at what is now Jersey Mike's Arena, also known as the Rack in Piscataway yeah. at Rutgers. I, it doesn't matter – what Steve Peichel has doesn't matter what you're talking about. There's just some kind of weirdness that seemingly always happens in that little gym, and that's where the Boilers embark upon on Sunday. So crazy to think the Purdue senior class, there's only one Big Ten building they've never won a game in, and it's it's there at Piscataway. Unbelievable to think. That's, that's the one place you've never won is at Rutgers. Uh, I, I would challenge anyone that when Rutgers first entered the league – if you would have told, you know, hey, when we get to 2024, Purdue seniors, will there'll be one building they've never won a game in, and it'll be at Rutgers, and they would have, they'd have laughed you right off the planet. You, you never thought that. But that's how far they've come under Steve Peichel, and they're not having a great season this year. They're really struggling offensively to score the ball. They just, I mean, losing Cam Spencer to UConn was yep. such a huge blow to them uh, from an offensive standpoint. He, they lost a couple guys in the transfer portal, but Cam Spencer is obviously the biggest loss for them. Uh, so they just don't have a whole lot of offense. But, man, defensively, they're still as good as they've ever been. Uh, and Steve Peichel, he coaches them up uh, to play, you know, really physical and tough and hard on the defensive end. So it's just so hard to score against. I would say, you know, Purdue the uh, is the second-best scoring team in the Big Ten just behind Iowa. Purdue's at about 80, 86 points a game right now, roughly. Um, this will be Purdue's biggest challenge from a defensive standpoint, trying to score against Rutgers. Um, there's no one else on our schedule that makes you earn it on the offensive end the way that Rutgers does. Um, so you hope you're just good enough on that end because, again, just watching Rutgers from afar this year, I just don't know that they have enough offense to beat Purdue, but they're certainly good enough defensively to, you know, if they could – if they could muddy the game up and keep it close, then, then yeah, they'll have a chance to win. There's no doubt. So, Rob Blackman on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You want to take a question from the listening audience right now, Rob? Yeah. I always get <laughs> I, I, well, I, I, so, well, let's hear the question. I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put you in a bad spot. You know that. I know that. Okay, All right. Yeah, what's the question? Can you ask – well, I don't know. Maybe this is. Can you ask what is keeping Miles Colvin consistently off the floor? defense, discipline, you know, youth, just the fact that they're crazy talented. Andrew wants to know that. I would start with the fact that there's just no place to play him right now. Uh, and he's obviously skilled. I mean, he comes in the game last night and has nine points. I think he played maybe ten minutes. Uh, uh, no, he didn't. No, I have, actually, I just grabbed the stat sheet. He scored nine points in seven minutes. That's hard to do, nine points in seven minutes for a guy that's just sitting on the bench waiting to come into the game. Uh, Matt Painter, actually, I'll just tell you what Coach Payne said because luckily uh, for your listener there, Coach Payne addressed this on the post-game interview with me last night on the radio network. He, he, he must have been watching Peacock. Sorry about that. <laughs> he must have been because <laughs> Coach Payne talked about this. He said, hey, and, I, and the, the exact, I'll give you the exact quote, at least I think this is exactly how he said it. He said, Miles Colvin is going to be a fabulous player for us before it's all said and done. I know he specifically said that, going to be a fabulous player before it's all said and done. The problem is there's just nowhere to play him right now. I mean, Camden Heidi, who is technically also a freshman, is playing in front of him. 
But Cam's a redshirt freshman, right? Cam had all of last year to acclimate himself to college basketball from both the weight room and strength perspective and just learning the game as a redshirt player uh, from the practices and the workouts. So, you know, he has a full year on Miles, even though they're technically both freshmen. Miles has done nothing wrong. Uh, again, you just, as, as Coach Pena likes to say, you know, when I take you out of a game, it's not because you've done something wrong necessarily. It's because I need to get the other guy back in the game because he just happens to be a little bit better player than you are right now. Uh, Zach Eady is a great example of that. You know, when Caleb first comes out of the game, it's not because Caleb's done anything wrong. It's because you're trying to get the freaking best player in the country back <laughs> in the game. That's why you're putting Zach Eady back in. You're not taking Caleb out. You're putting Zach back in. So that's what's happened to Miles. It's become just a numbers thing. You know, you only have 200 minutes for an entire game to spread out, and there just aren't there just aren't the minutes for him. But I would say this for him, man. He, for a guy that you know is a true freshman and he hasn't been getting the playing time, I certainly thought he pretty probably thought he was going to. Man, he's kept a great attitude and he's always ready to go. And you saw that last night. You know, he got put in the game and he immediately immediately provided offense for Purdue uh, with those three three point shots. So. Yeah, not, not a negative word to say about Miles Colvin. There's no one on that coaching staff that would say anything negative about him. Uh, like I said, he's going to be a fabulous player before it's all said and done. It's just right now there's so many other good players that are playing in front of him. There's just no place to play him. He is a Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers, Boilermaker Radio Network on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. Purdue on the road at Rutgers coming up on Sunday afternoon. So I'm sure you went over this when Purdue hosted Illinois a couple of Fridays ago or whenever that was, but it's hard to fathom, right? We know Lance Jones and what he is adding to this team. We saw that again last night with his 24, but what he's adding all the way around that is so necessary for this Purdue team. But then you think about Marcus Domask, who's in Champaign doing for Illinois. They both come out of the backcourt of Southern Illinois. What the hell was going on in Carbondale last year? Unbelievable. And now uh, on their team, they have, what, the second leading scorer in the country or third maybe? Yeah. Uh, currently on their team. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, think of all those guys. If all well, those guys. I, I just think what happened, what, the, the Salukis had to be salty about some things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it is crazy because, yes, Damascus has been really, really playing at a high level for Illinois. And, of course, Lance has been. Think about Lance. We talked about this on a radio broadcast. His All of his best games this year have come against Big Ten competition. Um, 17 against IU, 17 against Illinois, 17 against Iowa, you know, the 24 last night, the, the 15 against Maryland. He uh, sometimes, and this has happened to Purdue, you know, we've gotten some grad transfers who, you know, early in the season before the Big Ten season starts, they uh, they, they look really, really good and, and they score a lot of points. And you think, man, this guy's going to be just fine. And then the Big Ten season starts and they just kind of disappear. You never hear from them again. Lance has been exactly the opposite. He's actually played his best when we've been in league play, which is when you want him to play the best. So, yeah, you're man, you're right. I don't know what, what what's going on in Southern Illinois, but dude, they <laughs> they had all those guys on the same team right now. They really did. Yeah. That Missouri Valley Conference would be wrapped up already. Incredibly impressed. Speaking of which, I know that you're watching out of your side eye a little bit. That Indiana State Sycamore action going on over there, aren't you? You're paying attention, well, right? I'm paying attention, but remember now I'm an Evansville grad, so I oh yeah, I forgot I, about uh, that. That's why I pay attention to Missouri Valley. Oh. How about my Triple Aces? They actually have won ten games this year. It's they been have like five years before they'd won. You know, since they'd won double-digit games, 
but yes, you're uh, you're Sycamores. I do have my eye on them. Uh, matter of fact, I was I, I got lucky. I, I got early, got to that Purdue Arizona game early in the day that Saturday to watch Indiana State play uh, against Ball State, and uh, was thoroughly impressed with uh, with uh, Indiana State. So, oh yeah, I'm paying attention. Hey, listen, it's okay with Evansville, though, because you know how much love I have for the Pocket City down there. You know that. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. The home of the Purple Aces, baby. Southern Indiana right there. The (laughs) Screaming Eagles. I thought, I always thought, should I be going to college here? Because nobody seems to go to class, and there's a party like every day. Why am I not going there? Oh, Why am I not doing that? True story, man. The U of E folks, we would always go over to USI. Uh, to party and, quite frankly, to meet girls because there weren't any parties or <laughs> girls at Evansville. So we always we always drove across town to go to USI every weekend. That's where we were spending all of our time. Yeah, it's like uh, that's what Rose Holman used to do at Indiana State. All the nerds would come over there in their sweatpants and their slide rules when there were no right. chicks over there. Yeah, well, all the nerds are now, now e- making like exactly make a half a million dollars now, and I'm yeah <laughs> as engineers and right I'm exactly. calling them nerds. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. Give the fam my best. Uh, safe travels. I, I got to get – I got to reach out to Matt Painter and get him on sometime, too. So give him a heads up when you see him again. That I don't know if I'm going to do it this week, maybe next week. But uh, we got to have an ample conversation, as you normally do with Matt Painter at some point, too. But uh, have some fun. Get some work done in New Jersey coming up on Sunday. I will tell him that when he sees your number pop up, <laughs> that he should take the call. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. That'll get you a side eye, speaking of which, right there. Yeah. All right. <laughs> guy calling again All right, here. Man. All right, buddy. Good hey, to hear from thanks, you. John. So, Rob Blackman of the Boilermaker Radio Network, Southern Indiana. I know IU always gets this. Southern Indiana is by far, is it not, the most partying school, collegiately speaking, of the state of Indiana? And much like Indiana State, they also had ashtrays on every desk in every class. Quick break. We'll return. Top of the hour, Tony East to try to sort out what took place last night and then some. Well, Pacer conversation, top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Give me my theme music! 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Crank me up here, James. Let's uh, shout out happy birthday to legendary music icon Neil Diamond, who was 83 today. I want to say I saw him at Gamebridge Fieldhouse about 10 years ago. I took a very unfortunate photograph then. <laughs> I think it was like a photograph that the FBI saw. <laughs> so it was, that's how unfortunate it was. I think the FBI probably viewed that photo. Um. I think it was about 10 years ago, and yeah, 73, 10 years ago, and he is awesome. Multi-generational musical icon, Neil Leslie Diamond. 83 years old today. Now you can ask me about the uh, FBI photo some other time. Don't do that now. 
<laughs> ask me ask me if you show up at uh, NBA Jam and the dugout tomorrow. I'll tell you all about it. Great story, by the way, it is. Great story. Uh, Rob Blackman a little bit earlier. A great story. Speaking of the boilers, just rolling Michigan up. They get Rutgers on the road uh, coming up in New Jersey on Sunday afternoon. And Kevin Bowen. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be allowed considering – there's not been much winning since they made that deal. Am I still allowed to reference him as a moist blanket? Half a Sweebo in the morning is going to join us in the 5 o'clock hour. Let's see. I don't know. You guys can tell me, am I still allowed to reference him as a, a moist, a wet blanket? Somebody tell me. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline. He is a friend of the show. Covers the Pacers. I'm serious, like nobody's business. Forbes Sports, WTHR, Locked On Pacers, so much more. And uh, had an, an agreement with me last night, which was a few and far between on the social media platform X. Tony East joins us. Hey, thanks for having my back for a moment. If you saw, I was waging battle, as you could tell when you jumped in there last night. This is you. I get that when a team loses three games in a row, fans are upset, but... I mean, when they give up 114 to the defending champs, they, they they should win that game. Their offense was the problem to me, but it did not seem like people agreed with us, JMB. The, the offense is the problem as a whole right now. It just is because, as I pointed out, they haven't won a game uh, in which they've scored under 110. They average 125, and it is dropping right now. It can't afford to drop anymore. Their defense is better, but it is their sputtering offense, especially most of the time without Halliburton. I think that's showing up more in the stat sheet. I agree, and and we like we knew that would happen, right? But the part the the tweak that's made this interesting is you know since they had that practice like a month ago, right before that Hornets game where. They put all this focus into defense. They changed their starting lineup two games later. They've been seventh on offense since then. This was as of a couple days ago. And, like, league average on defense, which has made them better on the whole. But then when you lose Tyrese Halburn and you're no longer an elite offensive team, sure, that, that mediocre defense can be good. But they needed to be really good on offense, and they haven't been, right? I thought they could be a little better, and I guess they have. Like, they had 126 in Sacramento, but – 115 in Portland, 110 in Phoenix, 109 against Denver, 105 in Utah, 109 in Denver last week. Like, without Halbert, they have just not been able to score. And I think the biggest number that stands out to me, and I talked about this yesterday, is their three-pointers, getting them up, not even making them. They were terrible at making them last night, but they only took 21, right? The one game Halbert has played since that Celtics game, right? They win that Celtics game. They took 43s that game. They took 47 in Portland. Tyrese Halliburton played. All the rest of their games, their highest total is 33, right? He helps them so much get good attempts and make good attempts that last night against the Nuggets, they win if they can make some threes or generate some good ones, but they can't. That's when the biggest thing they lose without their star, and they've been really struggling on the offensive end. Ah, shout out to you, your genius, Tony East, on the Andy Moore Automotive <laughs> Group hotline. It, it, Damon Dobbs, it, it, shout out to him too. When the Pacers score in, in the 100s, right, they're 0-8. Uh, over 110, one of five, 10 and five over 120, five and two over 130, uh, five and zero oh in the 140s, three and zero oh in the 150s. So I listen. I, I'm not good at math, but even in my little tiny brain, I can do the math on what they're really missing right now. Yes, yes, and, and I get that they're not going to be as good on offense without him. 
no one expected that, but I thought they could get to like 115. You know, they got to 115 in Portland. If they scored that last night, they win, right? They've had yeah. a couple games like that without Halbert in the season. And again, I don't think anyone expects them to beat Denver or Phoenix without Tyrese Halbert, but they've played good enough defense in those games to give themselves a chance. And they have not been able to score, which given the entire resume of this team all season has been a little surprising to me. And I think you as well. I mean, let's just face it too. When, when Murray and Jokic are going like that, they put you in a two man as clearly they were doing. They really got focused in doing that after that lengthy review that was costly in a variety of ways. But when they put you in that two man, it's probably most of the time for anybody in the NBA going to be your ass. And this is what I felt that if you want to get on miles, for example, the missed threes, and especially those late opportunities and the one wide open straight on without Halliburton, those are shots, Neesmith as well, that you have to have to make up the difference. And that's where I find fault, certainly a lot more than defense. 100%, right? And they, they did well to, to create those shots, but they couldn't make them, right? They could not make them at all. And, you know, that hurts. Only making five threes is really painful in a game like that. They, they had no chance of keeping up with that ability to shoot the ball in a game like that. And uh, the, the Miles Turner ones were really, like the airmail one he had, with, yep. I think were tied with about two minutes to go. That one really hurt because you nailed it. Like they got the lead and then that review was so long. It sucked the air out of the building completely. So, you know, to see it come to that where they had a chance to get the building back into it, take a three-point lead, have the momentum again, their lineup was actually defending kind of well at the time was, I think, really p- poor for them and poor for, you know, the whole chance of keeping up. This this is not at all, in your estimation, a telltale sign about is it acclimating to Siakam? Is, is the Siakam role on this team now, does this have anything to do, you think, with the short-sighted scoring? And I know that Halliburton is the overriding factor here, but is, is Siakam trying to, to become more invested in this team? Is that playing a role in this too? I think so. Like everybody has to, you know, obviously his role is different than he's ever played in his life on um, – in, in different situations, you know, in Toronto, but um, he, he, not only does he have to figure out where his shots are coming from, how, like he's already, he talked today at practice about the pace difference, learning a lot about that, but everybody else now also is learning like, okay, Pascal Siakam's on my team. Like, what is that different for me? You know, last, last night in the third quarter, especially I thought like they, they were not finding him enough. Like, I don't think he took a shot the entire third quarter of that game. I'd have to double check that to be, to be sure, but if he did, it was only one or two, and I don't remember them. You know, I, that's an adjustment for kind of everybody. And I, I here's there, I'm kind of torn on that because on one hand, I understand what that adjustment could be, right? Like Miles Turner and Rick Carlisle have both said, yeah, that takes a couple games, maybe you know, a week or so. But on the other hand, it's like this guy's really good. <laughs> you know, you've already seen that if he gets a small arm in the post, he could just score right over him. He can score from basically anywhere on the floor. Like his 16 points without knowing their system has been so effortless, right? Like. That's all fantastic. So he's so good that I'm almost like, well, I get that it, it's an adjustment for everybody, but almost like just just try to get him involved and it'll work itself out. He's that kind of level of player. So I, I think they've got to find ways to, to generate more threes without Tyrese. Two more games against good opponents without him. Like they've got to find a way. They have good shooters to, to get take him and make him, and they've got to figure out exactly how they can use Pascal Siakam the best. I think today's practice will help a lot in that way, but they've got to maintain some of the defensive stuff they've been doing too. For the, for the love of – that is all holy uh, for the sake of me. Uh, don't tell me that Embiid's going to go back-to-back 70 spots here. Don't do it. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Oh, hey, how's, uh, how, how's Jalen Smith's back, by the way? Do we know? Uh, Rick, did not have an up- Rick Carlisle did not have an update for us today. Oh. 
Um, Is that not something you just like rub some absorbing junior on and get your butt out there? <laughs> well, it was weird because he came out of the tunnel late last night, but he I saw him during warm-up, so I didn't even realize that it was something bothering him. So I'm not exactly sure if it's going to be something super lengthy. They haven't put out an injury report yet, but, you know, back – like he, I think he was dealing with this a back injury earlier in the season, too. Like, sometimes I can just never go away and it can be an issue, but – I truly have no idea at this time. Rick, Rick, it's uh, Tony East joins us. His uh, new podcast, by the way, Locked On Pacers, uh, has been placed up there on his uh, X account. Uh, it is fresh <laughs> as of about 45 minutes ago. I invite you, uh, certainly after this show, to check that out immediately to see what he has to say. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I thought about this last night, too, and then I wondered if that had anything to do with the situations that Phoenix put Buddy in on Sunday where he got over and over again roasted by some yeah. good offensive players. Did that play a role as to why we didn't see him in the game late when this team was struggling with its shot-making ability? Yeah, maybe so. You know, uh, I thought it was really interesting that Lloyd Pierce at the helm, right, for that whole fourth quarter, and, you know, Buddy was having a rough night, one for three from the field. He, had played, he only played 22 minutes, but he wasn't having the greatest night. Mather wasn't having the greatest night, so – they start the fourth quarter with Ben Shepard in the game. And as we saw on the road trip, he's just energy, energy, energy. Like that hustle play he made diving for two different steals in one play was crazy. But I, I, I thought during the quarter, I actually said this to someone on media row, like there's a chance to me that right now the Pacers' best defensive lineup, and obviously if Halberton plays, he'll be in there and it's not the case, but their best defensive lineup has Ben Shepard in it right now, right? Like it, it could be Nemhard, Shepard, Neesmith, Siakam Turner, and you could quibble with some of the guys in there, but I think that they needed defense, right? They were down 10, 13 points early in that fourth quarter, and Shepard and the co guided them all the way back. They took the lead on a Shepard three pointer in the corner, right? So I think that Buddy's minutes and not playing when they needed some shot making was Ben Shepard was better than him last night, and that's no knock on Buddy, who was really good in Phoenix and can be shot really well in Portland and can be good for this team and is a good fit with Siakam, but. Ben Shepard was better. He might be one of their better defenders right now. He was a plus seven, and he made a big play to get the Pacers the ball when they had the lead, and then the foul was overturned. But he played a really good game. He earned those minutes, and I think that's mostly why Buddy wasn't out there and didn't have a chance to shoot it. Um, why Toppin and, and no Walker last night? What was the difference there? I know he got, by the way, assigned to the Mad Ants who play tonight at 6 o'clock, so he will participate and get some run. But why no Walker last night? Yeah, it's hard to fit him in as they get healthier, right? They had everybody but – Hal Burton, and then as we found out, Smith. And so I think the guy you'd play him over is Obi Toppin, like you said, but I don't think Toppin's done anything t- to lose his minutes, even though Jarris Walker's played well enough to sneak sneak up there and maybe you say you play him instead. So I just – I don't know who you would pull out for him unless it's, you know, whoever's just playing awful in a particular game, but you can't figure that out until the game starts. They still just have, you know, a, a crowded front court and they're going to play on the – got to earn the minutes merit, and I think – over the course of the season, Toppin's done more to earn that spot, even if Walker's end of road trip was was fantastic. And we'll talk on February 9th about if the roster's still the same, what that means for Jarris and his minutes. But right now, uh, he's he probably on the outside looking in most nights. Unless I, there's a front I, court injury. Hey, Tony, what's your expectation about how that's going to look after the trade deadline? Yeah, I don't know that they need to do anything, right? Like, that Buddy Heald's value to them is now higher than it was before they made the Siakam trade, both because of what his salary means to them uh, as they're over the cap now and as a shooter in general on a team that, you know, added a player who's a fantastic talent but isn't the best shooter, but he's still extension eligible. 
So that might get sorted out. But he and Toppin are the two expiring contracts that, you know, that's what I'm thinking about now if I'm the Pacers. Like, I feel pretty good about, you know, one, three, four, and five in my starting lineup. I've got a lot of young depth that's kind of ascending and figuring it out. Is Buddy Heald my long-term two? And is Obi Toppin a long-term player for my team? That's the kind of stuff I think the Pacers have to answer in the next, you know, what is it, two weeks now, which is unbelievable to say. Um, and so those are the two names that I would be watching, which is why I said what I said about February 9th. But, I'm, you know, they have Obi Toppin's restricted rights. It's not like he can just leave in free agency. But, you know, with Jarris Walker still on the team and, you know, who knows what their, their summer plans are, those are the names I would at least be watching, even though I don't necessarily think they have to trade either of them. Obi Toppin's been good this year, and he has value to them. They just have a lot of young guys who are, you know, right there ready for minutes and have played well this year when given opportunities. So Halliburton was practicing today? He was get when we got in there. He was getting up threes and moving around pretty well, and like that's what he was doing on their road trip too, right? When he came back in that Portland game, but you know, with hamstrings, uh, you, you just as Carlisle said, you can't piss him off, and uh, they can really linger for a long time. And uh, he's he's not playing tomorrow. He's not playing Friday. We'll see about Sunday when they play the Grizzlies. But um, yeah, he did. He, he was at least moving and shooting when we got in there, and and looked looked fine to me but again you, you just you got to be careful with those especially after as he said you know they, they they didn't like the response that his hamstring had to that portland game you could see him grimacing in that game yeah i don't know i don't know if he was grimacing at that like i don't want to say that on his behalf but i'm assuming <laughs> that's the case right so if that is the case then you know being careful with yeah he wants to make all nba and play enough games but you got to be careful long term with halberton and you got to be able to make him play for the stretch run. So it, it, uh, caution, caution is the move. If if that indeed what they said about the whole further injury management is true, you look back and the fact that he went 34 minutes a clock on yeah. Friday, yeah. I, I mean, it, to me that speaks more of a retweak than it does, well, wait a minute, we didn't like the way he responded after 34 minutes, uh, <laughs> and now we're going to shut him down again. I would almost call those the same thing. You know what I mean? Like the way it responded could be like, oh, it's it's worse than it was the day before, which would be a tweak of some kind. And that game was interesting because, of course, it's Siakam's debut. They really wanted to win. And Adrian Emhard was out, right? So they didn't have like point guard depth and McConnell didn't have a good game. In fact, the whole bench was terrible in that game. Like the, by far the worst Pacers bench game of the season. So they, they had to play him a pretty good amount. Him and McConnell filled up all 48 minutes at point guard, but – if TJ was a little better, maybe his minutes could have been down. If Nemhard was available, perhaps that could have kept his minutes down. But, like, that's all they had. That's all they had for that game. And uh, maybe Isaiah Wong could have played at someone, but given what they were facing and they really wanted to win it, they didn't do it. And I, I would agree that 35 minutes is a lot coming back, you know, what is perceived as early, given the timeline we originally heard from an injury. If he can do it, he can do it. And he played well. But uh, it certainly seems like now that it was – Maybe a little premature, but I don't want to. I don't want to speak for him. That's just obviously what it seems like right now. Yes, Tony East covers the Pacers Locked On Pacers podcast. His latest fresh, as of under an hour ago, is available again at Tony R East. You can follow him on the social media platform known as X. All right, follow me on this. The, the final defensive possession. This is how I described it, and the only thing that I didn't really know what was happening. I thought initially that that Miles and Neesmith were doubling on Murray to get the ball out of his hands. But when you go back and look, it almost looked like that it was um, a, a switch that Neesmith didn't switch and Miles did. But I'll go with doubling the ball out of Murray's hands. 
And then you see when Miles vacated, you see Ben Shepard sliding over, going halfway hard to Jokic at the top of the key and then retreating back to Caldwell Pope while Miles was fully momentum going to Caldwell Pope across the lane. And then obviously there was that mix up there. Is that how you saw that last night? Because a lot of people said, oh, you know, that's Miles falling asleep. I don't think Miles fell asleep. I just think that there was some miscommunication about what the hell was going on. Even if you're talking about a former MVP in this case, but Miles felt that Shepard was going when Shepard was halfway there. And when he retreated, it was too late. I, I, no way this is Miles falling asleep. I mean, he goes towards the sideline, right? When you fall asleep, you go you'd go towards the ball, but he didn't go towards the sideline. Keep the in ball. mind, I, I'm also followed by a lot of dumbasses that know nothing about basketball, <laughs> so remember that. But go ahead. Sorry. He went, I think clearly by the way he moved, they were trying to trap Murray and get it out of his hands. And, and Jamal Murray, 31 points in the game, he was getting to the rim. Like The Nuggets weren't shooting well, obviously, until this three. Um, so preventing the rim, don't let him drive, I think that makes sense. But I think you're right that Miles was trying to recover to Jokic, and Shepard had started to already. So Miles starts to drift over towards KCP, and maybe the rotation is supposed to be that Siakam comes up and Turner goes down to the block where Aaron Gordon is or whatever. But I think because Shepard was already stunning towards Jokic, Turner thought he was supposed to go across the other side. And I get why in that split second where Shepard's still facing him and Jokic catches and looks towards Aaron Gordon, that Miles Turner doesn't think to run towards the shooter. And just for a brief moment, he gets space, and it's still kind of well contested. So I think that it was just a split second where two guys thought that they were doing the same thing and neither of them was actually doing it. And when you're playing against uh, a former MVP who can make any shot, I mean, that was the most casual game winner I've ever seen, I think. He didn't even jump, but he just walked away like it was nothing. I, it's, that's all that takes, that little second to, to get beat by Jokic, and that's what happened. I I thought this and Tony East joins us too. When and I, and I still, the, the fact that they overturned that call that that was before Ben Shepard grabbed or grasped, it was a moving screen. And I know I know what these guys well, do. I mean, they they act like they set a screen and roll and look for the ball when they're really setting a screen and not really looking to get the pass. They're just looking to get space for the guy with the ball. That's what happened. And that call to me should have been upheld. So. I think it should have been upheld, but now for the same reason as you, funnily enough, I think that, uh, like, even Miles Turner does this. Everybody does this. Like, they set a screen, and then they pretend like they're cutting yeah. at the same time as the guy trying to get under them goes behind them, right? So th- it just looks like a cut. It's not really a moving screen. Like, if they called that, every center would foul every single game, right? So I don't even necessarily think it was a moving screen. I just think he flopped his butt off. Like, the he, the hug came, and then his arms went up after the hug came. I thought that was super, super weird, the sequence of events. And I'm not going to pretend like, you know, he didn't get hit. He did. But why did his arms go up after getting hooked like that? I thought that was the weird part. So, I think Shepard probably initiated contact first. I think you could have called that a moving screen. Uh, in general, though, I, I just, it was a super weird play. And the reason it killed the Pacers was neither of those things. The reason it killed the Pacers is that to review it took them – yeah. Longer than we've been talking right now. Yes. With no more energy left in the building. And and the rest of the way, it seemed like you got a heavy dose, as you would expect, of nothing but the two-man game between Murray and Jokic. And I, I'm assuming they would do that anyway, but the fact that you had so much time to go ahead if you're Mike Malone and figure all that out, that's the direction they went. And uh, that was the turning point by far. I just felt that when, when Jokic like rolled or flopped or whatever you said, that contact – to me, was an illegal screen before you get the contact 
from Shepard. So I don't know how you end up reversing that. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised they reversed it. I get it, I guess, but, you know, it was just so – I think he hugged him because he didn't expect him to be moving, right? So there's a lot of, of complicating factors in it. Again, the Nuggets get the extra chance. Jokic hit the three. Pacers never lead again, right? So – a huge call at an important time that just totally deflated the Pacers' chances. All right, uh, Tony East joins us. Before I let you go, Rick Carlisle tossed in the third quarter. Was a lot of that <laughs> about coming to the defense and, hello, new player, I got your back as the head coach. Was there a little uh, bit of that there? Smart messaging to do that, uh, if that is the case. His exact quote was, I didn't like what I was seeing out there at all, not one bit. Uh, and I don't necessarily think that was about the play of his team. They were winning. <laughs> they were winning when he yeah. got tossed, right? But the play before, I think he tried to call a timeout that maybe didn't get registered, and then the play before Siakam got got smoked on a layup and, and did not, he didn't make it, nothing was called. The Nuggets immediately scored on the other end, and he was hot like like as the Nuggets were coming down the floor, right? Yeah, they Pacers were ahead. And then Jokic hit a three, and then he got tossed, right? So I think he was just, like, his team wasn't playing well, some non-calls, just everything stacking up. I mean, he was just irate at that. And, yeah, come to bat for your new guy. Show him you got his back. Siakam's already spoken highly of Carlisle last night. So I think that was a smart move, even though uh, it was certainly, you know, that, that point could have mattered in a close game, uh, the tech free throws. But it, it sent a good signal, and the Pacers did end up coming back. I'm, I'm really going to try really hard not to get nauseous talking about tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, but uh, <laughs> last time we saw Joel Embiid, he put a 70 Ooh. spot up and, and could have probably gone for 80 or 85 if he truly wanted to in uh, in a game against San Antonio. 36 over per game is his average right now. Um, I don't know who made their schedule up after this long road trip, but that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's been brutal. I, I, you know, it's funny that they did so well early in this month. Funny is not the right word, but it's important that they did because, like, this is what I was talking about when they were on that big winning streak at the end of December. Like, they need these wins because their January is so hard. So sneaking those wins against Milwaukee and Boston is so big because of this stretch, right? They had the road trip and then coming home for three tough teams, and it could have been four before Memphis fell apart. So they need to beat Memphis. They really need to steal one of these, I think, and now they've made this trade, and their schedule really eases up after, let's say, February 1st or 2nd. Oh, good. Good deal, right there. And then, do you um, you have a any time? You think Halliburton returns on Sunday? If you were a a betting or a guessing man right now, I mean, here's what I'll I'll use conjecture to predict. He talked in the off season about getting psyched for that Boston game next Tuesday because it's on TNT and it was the Pacers' only scheduled national TV game. Maybe his feeling on that has changed because they were on TNT and ESPN for the in season tournament, but. Uh, he was. I think he's excited for that game in particular. So maybe playing a, a winnable home game with Siakam would be something he'd be interested in before that. Maybe he wants to take it easy heading into that. But with all NBA at stake, with that, uh, with that opportunity in front of him, I think I think he'll try. But we saw what happened last time. They rushed him back. Uh, if they rushed him back, that is. So uh, we'll see. If I was guessing, I would guess that yes. But that is a guess. That is a guess, certainly. And I'm expecting Embiid to play tomorrow night. Any other Pacer injuries <laughs> that I'm aware of? <laughs> so yeah, I'm so used to I'm so used to my X handle and what happens during these types of games. So I'm just it's almost like I'm waiting on it now. <laughs> he's just ridiculous, and uh, yes, he's leading the league with 36.1 points per game. Mm. Looks like a looks like a fake number when you see it on the screen. 
Yeah, it's weird too. I mean, you talk about his jump shot. It, it, it looks like when when we'd be playing on like a Nerf goal. I mean, he shoots it kind of, you know, side saddle a little bit, and there's really not any jumping going on. It's just basically a flick of the wrist with a little, like, Nerf ball on, on what we'd be playing on a Nerf rim. That's what it looks like. It does. You know what You know what? Uh, he's averaging in the five games since he returned from injury? Am I going to get, get even more sick than I already am? Tell this me. This includes a 70-point game, but he's yeah. averaging uh, 44.2 points, <laughs> 10.4 rebounds. And five assists per game. The Sixers are uh, undefeated in those five games. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine that's the case. Uh, Tony East has got a brand new podcast up, Locked On Pacers, regarding last night and then some. You can check that out. He's with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. It's always a pleasure, man. I appreciate the breakdown. We'll do it again soon. You got it. Thanks for having me. Tony East on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. And again, a shout out 40 years with the Pacers, Pacers Sports and Entertainment CEO Rick Fusen announced today his retirement that will take effect june the 18th 40 years homegrown product and has been every bit of good dude to me as you can imagine job well done and enjoy rick fusing quick break we'll come back janet jackson ticket speaking of Pacers Sports Entertainment in the Fieldhouse. Janet Jackson, Nelly, coming up in June. When you hear Janet Jackson re-entry song, your cue to call to be number nine, and you can get those tickets. Quick break. We're coming back. Sweebo and the KB part of that. Kevin Bowen's going to join us for the morning wake-up call, 5 o'clock hour. Don't go anywhere. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. And the beat goes on, yeah. And the beat goes on. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. James over there, I'm John. Thank you for joining us. Dugout tomorrow, Mick Aloba Ultra and NBA Jam. Pick your team. High score wins. Just an incredible and very original pair of Nike Airs, courtesy of Mick Aloba Ultra. And then you're entered into the finals where you can win the arcade game, NBA Jam. I know you all played that, right? Just, yeah, pick your team. The dugout tomorrow, beginning at 3, the arcade game will roll in and you can start playing. And it is a great timing because you can be on your way. Dugout's just, what, near southeast side of downtown? On your way down to see the Sixers and the Pacers stop in, have an ice-cold Michelob Ultra with us, play some NBA Jam, maybe win those shoes. Those shoes are badass, though. I mean, you will love them. So that's coming up tomorrow. Tavern Tour stop. I got to give a shout out because we missed a stop during the cold season. I cannot go six months without being a part of what is the fantastic Manley's Irish Mutt with Mike Manley and the gang. All of my friends over there on the east side, 10th and Shadeland, that's coming up on Friday. That's a Tavern Tour stop. Me and Brent Halverson, it is the first of 2024. Evan Williams and brand new Tavern Tour Stop t-shirts for you, too. While they last, I'm telling you, 
of the places that have been a staple of mine for years, and really, I go back 19 overall, and then, hell, what, uh, 14 right here, I think, 14 here and 19 there, or at least approaching uh, 14 here, uh, Manly's Irish Mud has been a staple, and everybody over on the east side shows up, whether you're a big fan of uh, Cathedral, Chittard, Sassina, especially those folks out there. Uh, we are back with Mike Manley, Manley's Irish Mutt, 10th and Shadeland, coming up on a tavern tour stop with Brent Halverson on Friday. Free samples and brand new tavern tour stop t-shirts. Uh, so it is going to be good. Good close to the week all the way around. Right, top of the hour. Kevin Bowen's going to join us. Tony East so far. Rob Blackman, Boilermaker Radio Network, also on the show, 239-1070 is the number. And Eric is up first today. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, JMV. Uh, I, I, for years now, uh, I've called in your show, and, and the last couple I've laid off but Miles Turks. I thought he's played a lot better the last couple of years. So I'm not calling to get on Miles at all. Uh, but – there, there is somebody on team that I feel like has, has doesn't hardly do much anything, and that's Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald started last night over Matherin, and he's been starting over Matherin, and he had three points, one rebound, and one assist. And one, once every six or seven games, he'll, he'll put up 16 or 18 points, and then he, he, don't, he don't defend, he don't rebound, and it's like Matherin – I don't understand how he's starting over Mather. I, I don't get it. Um, well, I mean, let's just think about it this way, too. If you're talking about up and down, Matherin is also up and down. So I think it becomes a moment of pick with whatever you think is going to take advantage of it. And I'll give you a reason why. Like, Buddy Buddy may have started, but I think his minutes were just over 20. I, I mean, he spent a lot of time on the bench last night. His, his time, his clock was deflated. And that's why I asked Tony East this. I didn't know if that was, Eric, because if you're thinking about a team that can't stroke it down the stretch, you're thinking, you know, why is Buddy Heald standing over there? He didn't shoot it well last night anyway, and he didn't get those minutes. But you also – maybe wonder about his defensive prowess or lack thereof. We saw that in Phoenix down the stretch if that didn't play a role as to why he wasn't out there. But there is room on this team for him. There's no doubt about that. But if you're trying to gauge both, it's kind of like pick your poison because it seems like both are equally up and down on a roller coaster, both he and Matherin game to game. You just kind of have to figure out who's got it, who doesn't, and then approach that accordingly. I get that, but uh, but the game before this one, when they were playing in Phoenix, Matherin played 14 minutes, and I'm just not under like. Oh, he worked his like way out of the doghouse again. He was in the doghouse again. Yeah, I mean, he got in the yeah. do- he got in Rick's doghouse again. So he's trying to work his way back out of that. Well, I appreciate it, Jamie. Hey, Eric, you call any time. Thank you very much. I, I trade deadline. I don't know. Like there are a lot of questions to ask. I don't even consider I don't even consider the whole buddy thing. I just ask the question to ask the question. If you really truly want to get on something last night, I mean, obviously in the third quarter and you know, Caldwell Pope going, Oh, that just can't happen. And it did. But if you really truly want to get on somebody, it was fourth quarter, 
shot-making or lack thereof ability. I know everybody says, oh, you always come to Miles' defense. Well, last night I told you, and this is how it is. It wasn't about the defense. The defense is better. It is about the offense, which is evaporating, and it can't. This team is better defensively, but they're worse offensively. And whether that is significantly a product of Halliburton, which it is, but last night they had an opportunity. And Miles had an opportunity a couple of different times. I mean, one, he he threw up a a wounded duck. And then the other was straight on with nobody near him from distance, and he left it long. And those are just situations when you're playing without clearly your best player in Tyrese Halliburton, and you're trying to beat a team that has the best duo, arguably, in the NBA, that is red-hot smoking on that night, the defending NBA champion, those are shots you have to make. So there's not always coming to the defense here. I mean, I recognize that thoroughly. I just thought last night I just had a lot of jackasses that were arguing about stuff to me that wasn't true and because you don't know. All you got to do is watch. The problem was on the offensive end. The problem continues to be on the offensive end. Yeah, a point of discombobulation, whether or not somebody was wrong after what took place with, you know, a double team to get the ball out of Murray's hands, and then Jokic, and then Miles going to KCP, and then Ben going halfway and then going back. You make that argument all day, great. I know it was a game with stone-cold game winner. They lost it offensively. Repeat after me, offensively. An over under 110. Let's just face it, too. If they don't get to 120, they're really not going to beat anybody. Not a lot of teams. They may beat somebody, but that somebody's going to have to super suck, and that's not what you had in Denver last night. That's not what we're going to have tomorrow night against Philadelphia, and certainly not what we're going to have Friday night against Phoenix. And that is the truth. I guess we'll continue to argue about it at JMV 1070 if you want. I'm telling you, man. Just, I know I send out stupid stuff, and maybe that's a product of me sending out stupid stuff. But my God, some some of you got, read your stuff before you send it to me, all right? And I, listen, I don't make fun of grammar or misspellings because I know we all do that. Everybody fat fingers, the keyboard, all that. My God, think about some of this. Like, what did I get just now? Let me give you an example here. You guys want an example? Seriously, this is one I stinking got earlier. Hold on a second. At JMV 1070, Nick says Miles dared Jokic to shoot that he didn't even expect him to shoot. Hard to believe when when, uh, Jokic already hit two, Miles didn't hit one three or even have one block either. So this clown is Miles dared him to shoot. For the love of God, people. Come on, don't don't hit send on that. And let me tell you this, if it's because I send out stupid stuff, then I just need to be better because that's ridiculous. You can't be serious. That's got to be somebody fake. Dared, dared him. <laughs> that That is the stuff. Just don't hit send, unless I guess you're joking and I think you're supposed to put a JK next to it or something. Daring him to shoot. 
See, and unfortunately, I'm not going to give Nick here the benefit of the doubt. I just think he's dumb. Don't hit send on that. Yes, yes, I probably would. I'm getting a lot of pushback on the whole Britney Spears can't go to the, an L.A. area hotel because she went topless there. I oh. said, hey, I need to build a pool. She can't go to a hotel pool because and she everybody's saying, yeah, I don't it. know if I want that. I don't know if I would want Britney Spears swinging, uh, swimming topless in my pool either, honestly. Nick, uh, let me, don't be like Nick here. Yes, you would. James, I come don't on, know. man. Yeah, you would. Maybe like you're a, early a 2000s red blooded dude, human being over there. Yes, you would. I mean, have you not seen yeah, like you, the weird knife dancing video? Matter, yeah, yes, you would. Yes, you would. I mean, I know it's not going to happen. It's ridiculous for me to bring up, but it's not a dude out. Oh no, I'm too good for that. Uh, you're a yes, you would. All right, I I've seen you all, and you would in a second. All right, I'm not dealing with a bunch of Brad Pitts here. All right, you would do it in a second. <laughs> you, you would do it if Britney Spears was some chick from like Knox County. All right, yes, you would. Uh, Jeremiah is at two three nine ten seventy. Sorry about that, James. Jeremiah, how are you? Hi, how you doing? Great. Hello. Go ahead, buddy. Oh. Okay, two things over with the Cubs and the Pacers. Yep. Coach, a player that I really would like on the Pacers, a good 3 and D wing would be Herb Jones from the Pelicans. Nice size, 6'8", you know what I'm saying? Probably uh, does it all. I know the former Alabama player very well, yeah. And he's yeah. he's going to be a commodity for somebody, it yeah. seems. I just don't I know great, if that somebody's going to be player. here. And then um, – uh, another thing with the Colts, I would be open to trading Pittman if you get a first-round pick simply because I love Michael Pittman, but to me he's like Larry Fitzgerald. That's a ceiling. And as great as Larry Fitzgerald was, he never won a championship. Granted, he put up great numbers to had a bad team. I think what striking needs in his offense is like what he had in Philadelphia, is people that can stretch on all three, three levels. Of, of the field, you know what I'm saying? So even though I love Pitt, I will be open to that. Jeremiah, thank you very much for the phone call. You call anytime. Now, let me address this. Outside of Michael Pittman Jr., Larry Fitzgerald right now in jeans would probably be better than what they have. I would take Larry Fitzgerald right now. So the fact that you compared him to Larry Fitzgerald, I go, good Lord, please. I don't care if he didn't win a championship. I take Larry Fitzgerald right now. Like in a heartbeat. He could be wearing jeans and have James's hat on backwards. Yeah, that argument's not going to work. And let's face it, too. You bring back Michael Pittman Jr. And you go out, you don't tell me that you can't because you can, and you put together the best offensive weapons that you can surrounding your core. My, see, this can't continue to happen. This is something that hopefully by now, I mean, it's been seven years, right? I mean, it had told me, what, five, six years to get out of college. I graduated supposedly from Indiana State in like six years. 
So it's going to take seven years for Chris Ballard to understand that this is what is necessary, especially now with coach and quarterback. Come on. Now, you bring him back. You bring him back because he gives you somebody you can count on game in and game out right now. And then you bring in others. If you draft them, so be it. That's what you do. And if Larry Fitzgerald's available, I'd take him wearing blue jeans right now. Do I need a break? Hey, Barry, hold on. I'll get to you on the other side. Uh, Kevin Bowen, top of the hour. Morning wake-up call with KV and Handy. Seriously. I thought, wait a minute. I thought Larry Fitzgerald was good. Or like really good. Like Hall of Fame worthy good. Uh, Barry on the other side. Kevin Bowen, top of the hour. Janet Jackson tickets coming at you at some point in the 5 o'clock hour. Listen to win. 93.5107. Find the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Have you ever killed anyone? Yeah, but they were all bad. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Sweebo, top of the hour. That's the uh, Kevin Bowen part. Morning wake-up call. At JMV, Larry Fitzgerald in jeans. We're talking about Levi's 501s or fake stretchy jeans like the kids are wearing today. Yeah, either one, I'll take it. I think most Colts fans would take it, too. <laughs> My bad. I couldn't think. I've used Green County so much, Jerry, that when I mention is there a Britney Spears that lives in Knox County that – that James would take. Um, that's what came to mind. I could have dropped anything. I mean, Lawrence County, Orange County, Dubois, Dubois, any of it. it. Knox just was the first to come to mind. My bad. I'm a big fan of Knox County, as you well know. I used to get, uh, it was a uh, two for Tuesday, Cole House video back in the day. Vincennes University, Cole House video, two for Tuesday. And they, listen, they had a door on their porn room when others just had a curtain. It's way too young for you. When you used to go to the video store, the porn room, the porn room sometimes had a curtain. If you didn't want to pay for a door, you just had a curtain. See, I I actually remember that. I I was around when family video and blockbuster and stuff. First connection of all time right there. First relatable ever. But uh, Cole House Video was way in front of it then. They had a door before anybody else did. Everybody else just had a curtain. Tyler writes this. So JMV, Neesmith had so many open looks, he clanked all of them. The only person that is reliable to shoot from distance is a liability on defense or is hurt. I hope they add more at the trade deadline. I'm not going to blame that completely on Neesmith because, listen, Miles missed a couple of attempts that were difference makers. And that's why when everybody, like I had this Michael guy talking about, I've got to see the video when Shep was not all the way over. Michael has no idea what he's talking about. None, zero. Please get to at JMV1070 and see how little some of these people know that are on here. He was sprinting halfway there and then retreated, as Tony East also just mentioned when he was on a little bit earlier. There was mass confusion. I'll be honest with you. I don't really know other than trying to get the ball out of Murray's hand. I don't know what they were trying to do. 
but it didn't look like it had much of an opportunity to work because it was a cluster. But again, the cost of the game on the offensive end, and I think you guys need to understand that. Well, you know what? If you just had a big man that didn't worry about points and Okay, you take seven, take, take some of 17 away from a team that averages 125 a game and hasn't won one over 110. Take that away and see what you got. They haven't won one game when they didn't go over 110. You cannot sidetrack your offense anymore, and you just got to try to tread some water here before Halliburton gets back. It's the way that it is. You still have a long part of the season – This just stinks because everybody's excited about seeing Pascal Siakam. You got 16-10 and last night in his home debut. And then you're going to get Philly tomorrow night, and everybody's fearing the worst. I get where you're going with it. But you got to understand what truly is going on here is not about the defense. The defense has actually been better recently. It's entirely about the offense. See if we got a moist blanket in Sweebo. Kevin Bowen of the morning wake-up call joins us next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. No, this isn't an argument. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It is not. It is. <laughs> you just contradicted me. No, I didn't. Oh, you did. No, 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 no. You did just no, no, now. No, no, nonsense. Oh, look, this is futile. No, it isn't. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, shout out to me. I got a heart screen today. I did. All's good in the hood. I actually got, I don't know what it is, I got like a full torso screen. They said my pancreas was perfection. Anybody else out there have a perfect pancreas? Got a perfect pancreas, nice. Yeah, that made me feel good. Shout out to Dr. M, Nels and everybody up there. Meridian Medical Services got me right all awesome. I have a perfect pancreas. Got a good look at my kidneys today. There's no gravel pit going on. You can tell that I haven't had a big red in about 30 years. That's awesome. Hey, we're going to do something coming up in, because I want to make sure, I mean, even if you guys are jackwads to me, I want to make sure everything, because I need it all here. I mean, I need... I need the positive affirmation, but I also need some of the uh, jackwadisms that are going on out there. I need it all. We all need it together, and I need you guys around and healthy as long as possible. So coming up in February, um, we are going to kickstart your heart. We're going to treat it all right. So think about that. That's what we're all going to go together. I love that today. It was great. Easy. Got right in. And I... Have a perfect pancreas. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline, joining us now. The morning wake-up call with Sweebo. That's Andy Sweeney on one side with his beard and his hat and his Miles Turner falling asleep, clearly from northern Kentucky, knowing zero about basketball. On the other side is our good friend KB Kevin Bowen, who last week was known as a wet blanket, however. 
I may have to go ahead and call myself out because since that point in time, maybe there is a bit of a need for that moist blanket considering what's transpired with the Pacers. Kevin Bowen joins us. Are you uh, you solidified with your stance as being a moist blanket after last week considering what's happened since? Well, before we get into wet and moist blankets, which I'm sure everybody wants to hear, um, I was listening at 4 o'clock when you brought Tony East on and Neil Diamond 83. Did I hear you correctly today? Yes, he did. Yes, he and is. And Crackle, Crackle and Rosie. Was yeah. that the song of choice by yes, you? Yes, it is. I was thinking about your firstborn. I, well, thank you for that. And uh, that is, ironically enough, one of my father-in-law's favorite songs. And he has sung that, you know, maybe not the entire song, but he's sung that to Rosie many times. In That's her awesome. life there. So, uh, yeah, that made me feel pretty good on this. That's on this awesome right morning. there. So, I saw so Neil Diamond about 10 years ago. I saw Neil Diamond. I actually I went by myself. Believe, I couldn't believe when you said 83. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, he was great, too. It was at Gambridge Fieldhouse. And I think what was most noted out of that was it was a great time and a great performance, but I think I was in a picture that the uh, FBI ended up seeing. So that's a story I have to tell you <laughs> off the air sometime. <laughs> I think the FBI. I think the FBI performed a shakedown, and I think I was in a photo that they ended up seeing. I'll have to ask somebody around here if that was true. But no, that all happened ten years ago, and I I am with the JMV takeover, and really just growing up, a tremendous fan, tremendous of Neil Diamond. So shout out to your father-in-law. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate that. I'd love to hear that offline. Sounds like a James Dolan Madison Square Garden oh, story here of like fans that have turned against the Knicks, and now James Dolan is <laughs> using picture evidence to keep them out of. And hey, we're, we're, we're thumbing through pictures, right? Hold on, it's like the fugitive <laughs> when like doing the fingerprints, and well, you know, they stopped right here to look at this one. <laughs> 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 Wait a minute. Yeah, it wasn't in it's not good. So it wasn't good, but it's funny. It was funny at the time it probably wasn't the best, but uh it was it was funny as an end result. So uh anyway, where were we? I'm sorry about last about last yeah, night's game. Are you moist blankets? Are you yeah. justified in your moist blanket? Uh I, I don't think no. I, I don't think I am. I, I mean we're we're one week into this and you know, honestly it's probably something that's going to be a multi-year thing. I, I will start here, and I'm not trying to be like, um, you know, whatever, pat you on the back or anything like that, but I, I do think there's been a lot of really positive moments from Siakam, and, and frankly, if a couple guys hit an open three last time in the fourth quarter, off of his assist, off of his passes, um, you know, Pacers, I, I would say easily win that game, or maybe not easily, but certainly uh, could have won it there. Um, so, again, I don't think by any means it's been all bad by him um you know if you go back to friday night i mean certainly you know you can't let jeremy grant do what he did and and you know give up the amount of points in the paint you know sunday again durant having the night that he had um but you know to me siakam i i think offensively you see a lot of uh, really positive moments and i mean early on in the game last night I mean, he was the guy i mean he was all of a sudden denver had to really change what they were doing to put a lot of attention on him. And again, if you just don't have a five for 21 night, I think you walk away winners and it's probably a much different tune, but you know, certainly you aren't in the mood right now. No one is in the mood right now. The Pacers aren't in a position right now to even feel good about, you know, close losses results, given how the Eastern conference looks. So 
Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's been by any means all bad with Siakam. I mean, obviously 0-3 is 0-3, but, you know, it's not like, you know, he's been a huge, huge reason or the reason by, why. That'd be totally unfair to describe the situation like that. But, damn, this team needs a win, and they need it in a hurry. Yeah, and it's going to be tough to get one considering the circumstances and the matchups. That's Kevin Bowen, the morning wake-up call, weekday morning 7 until 10 a.m. right here on The Fan. I will disagree on something. Like, to me in Portland on Friday night, um, it certainly was more about the off. I thought it was more about the and I still think it's more about the offense and the clip in which normally they're going right now. And even though Halliburton played without him, it's obvious. But to me on Friday, it, all right, Grant goes for 37. And we know this power forwards have normally notably toasted the Pacers. But what you couldn't have is the 30 from Brogdon. And he ran high ball screen all night like he did here, never gave up the ball, and finished not even above the rim but below the rim every single time. That's what stood out to me is, my God, you can't let this guy go off again on you. And that's what they did. And, you know, compound that with an offense that's just not scoring at a rate that it normally does, I think that's why you ended up with that loss at the Moda Center. Yeah, it's pretty shocking to walk away from Friday night, and I, I think I have this right. I want to say the Pacers hit 23s in that game, and I believe Portland only hit four. So you outscore a team by, what is that, 48 points from behind the arc? Exactly. I mean, 20 of 47 for the Pacers on that night. Four yeah. of 12 for the Blazers. I mean, you can't you outscore a team by 48 from behind the arc and you lose the game? Like, and Portland just feasted in the paint. And it wasn't, you know, to your point, it wasn't all Grant. Brogdon, season high there. And I mean, when slow motion Brogdon's living in the paint like that, uh, that can't happen at all. So, and that, it, honestly, I think, you know, that is a little bit of the difference in just having Halliburton versus the last couple of nights. I mean, you could look at Sunday even, and certainly last night, I mean, outside the third quarter, which obviously was an ugly quarter, that was one of the best defensive efforts of the season by far. And that lineup in the fourth quarter, it's probably their best defensive lineup when you look at Nemhard, uh, Neesmith, uh, Turner, Siakam, and then Shepard. Um, I thought there were some moments there that probably could have subbed Buddy in for a little offense-defense. And I don't know, maybe it was just the, the constant clanking from, from Miles. Well, and, Phoenix and, Phoenix and, hangover, and, I think, played that role, don't you? The Phoenix hangover, he got worked late. Because I, mean, I would agree with you on at least trying him, but I, I felt maybe last night there was a bit of – and who knows, you know, you got – you know, obviously it's not Rick that's pulling the trigger at that point in time. But right, I, I just right. thought – I thought maybe it was a, a late-game defensive situation hangover with Buddy. Maybe that was it. Yeah, that is a good point. And I don't know, I'm probably reading too much into it, but I feel like every time I see Buddy or Obi now playing minutes, I'm like, wait a minute, is there is there trade, you know, trade deadline, you know, implications around all of this? Like, oh wow, Jarris Walker gets in before Obi on Sunday in Phoenix and then last night Walker doesn't even play and Obi or uh, Buddy plays like twenty some minutes. So um I did think, I mean, certainly Shepard deserved a lot of minutes, but I thought there was a moment there late just to go a little offense defense just because you got absolutely nothing uh, at all, you know, from a perimeter standpoint there. So, yeah, again, the team, I mean, this team just needs to win. And, and as crazy as it sounds, I feel like tomorrow might be the better of the two just because Friday will be the back-to-back against Phoenix. And, you know, obviously there were two great games earlier in the year. In Philly, different games, you know, you, you split both those meetings, but, I mean, you just look at how the East is and you look at the trade deadline and, you know, 15 days, this team just needs 
Halliburton back. They need wins, and they're obviously going to have to make some decisions on, you know, Buddy Heald and Obi Toppin and, and maybe even Jalen Smith, although Jalen is a guy that I, I'd probably try to retain if you could. Yeah, I hope his back's okay because it'd be nice to be able to have him tomorrow night. Kevin Bowen of the morning wake-up call joins us. So the Pacers um, not scoring to 110-0-8, past 110-1-5, 10-5 when they score a buck 20 or more. And then it just gets better. Five and two, one thirty or more in the one forties, in the one fifties, they're unbeaten. This is right now, and I'm sorry, the way they are, this is entirely on the offense. The defense, the defensive average is better right now, but it is the offensive average that has been evaporating. Yeah, and I think there's an element of without Tyrese, you have to win a little bit uglier. I just think that's that's to be expected and 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 honestly, um, you know, I mean, you just can't have, what, 25 points and 12 assists and be out of the lineup and think that you're going to make up for that. But, again, last night, just the wide open. I mean, there Had was a chance. some yes. clean, clean looks late, and it's a very, very different tune that you missed there. And, you know, in a way, and I am by no means am I, you know, bringing up Miles just to totally rip on your guy, but missing those threes there late, you know, that was such a – element of you know Siakam being very public about wanting to play with Miles and that you know there's going to be moments where teams try to cheat over to me when I'm in the post and having a five man like Miles the ability to stretch the floor um, that's where you know it it almost was drawn up perfectly in Siakam's eyes to last night the fourth quarter um, and obviously couldn't hit any of those And, and you know Neesmith had a couple you know clean looks as well that that you couldn't knock down so um, you know, there's part of me that's like, you know, is are, are these types of games, these scoring games, and again, Halliburton it, uh, certainly makes a huge difference, but come playoff time, it, does it get a little bit uglier? I mean, does it get a little bit more of the race to 140, which is what the Pacers want, and, and arguably the Pacers probably need it, um, does that continue to happen in the playoffs? They've obviously scored at will against many teams this season and, and continue to be, you know, one of the best offenses in the league with, with Halliburton. You know, is that going to be there in a seven-game series? There's a huge unknown with that, but that's certainly a question that I have. But in the here and now, with them, um, it is you're going to have to win uglier. Last night was just way too ugly offensively, particularly from behind the arc. What? Um, and, and you got to hit some open shots. It, it de- it's a race to 120, without question. I mean, it, it is going to be a race to 120, and we'll, we'll see what happens defensively. And I, I agree with you. Like when everybody and you. I don't know if you noticed last night, but as usual, my uh, my timeline lights up like uh, a pinball machine uh, in moments like that. And I've got all these nerds that are telling me it's about defense. And I'm saying, listen, if you want to blame 33 for something last night, it's those misses. Because those were winning types of moments or staying in the game type of moments that Without Tyrese Halliburton, you're fortunate to be there anyway, and you got to take advantage of it. Or if you don't, that's what happens. I mean, on the defensive end, after that that long and drawn out, you know, ridiculous challenge, and you know the whole foul that was overturned, it, it Denver went to the two man game, and you're not going to really match up with the two men that they have, and Murray and Jokic, and we saw that a, a number of times. But you have to take advantage on the offensive end. So if there was a way that you want to be hard coil, for example, on Miles, it was having a big donut hole from distance and especially doing that late. Yeah, honestly, final possession, John, as soon as Siakam put that ball back in, I, I, I was 
one, uh, screaming might not be the right word, but I was certainly saying, why aren't you fouling to extend the game? Um, I, I know NBA teams don't love to do that. In the college game, that would have been an automatic almost foul to extend it because obviously you can advance the ball with a timeout. But, you know, even if Jokic would have taken longer there and, you know, he would have sh- you know, shot it right around the shot clock expiring, I mean, you're looking at like three seconds right around that, you know, maybe to have a desperation type of heave. And, I mean, no matter what you call, it's going to be – some sort of maybe a one dribble shot and you don't have Halliburton. So, you know, any sort of, here's our go-to guy, um, you know, whatever, if you have Steph or, I mean, hell, even if you had a Jokic, but, you know, if you have an elite, elite perimeter player, I I might understand it in that moment. But I did think that was something. And and Lloyd Pierce pushed a lot of right buttons uh, in a chaotic moment to get the Pacers back into that game. But I honestly was thinking there, you have not stopped Murray and Jokic on anything here in the last three or four minutes. Um, why not let that raucous environment see if all of a sudden they miss one or two free throws, and then you get a look there at the end. I, I didn't love playing it out, and, and obviously when Jokic gets a, you know, one dribble step in three looking like you at Center Grove, then, you know, that obviously is quite the cherry on man, top. That, that's sweet, though, man. That is, I, you know, I know that, you know, that was ultimately the dagger, but, man, what a, what a sweet jumper. I mean that's just off I mean, off a of one foot, not putting hardly anything into. I mean, really, it is like a, an old man game to where you want to conserve your energy, and you know you just put that. You've done that so many times with repetition. You just put that thing up to the ceiling as high as it can with with the arc, and boom, there you go, drain. That's awesome. Love it. It reminded me of like all all of my coaches growing up that you know are asking for one shot during practice, and you know all the kids are just jacking them up, and all of a sudden you pass it out to your coach, and he doesn't look like he shot a ball in a gym in about three months, and all of a sudden one dribble step in, pass three doesn't say anything, and says, "All right, let's run practice." Like I mean, that was how easy Jokic made that look, and again, it was certainly a very embarrassing moment at the. End of the possession there to let that happen, but I, I would have liked to have seen a foul to extend the game there. Yeah, it's just man, it, it is almost like you, you get uh, two fouls and you come out. I mean, rarely there are just some significant rules that the coaches live by in the NBA that they don't waver from, and it seems like that that's certainly what you're talking about right there with the potential foul and not fouling is one of those in that situation. Do you think um, you think Rick got got tossed to send a message to Siakam that I have your back? I don't think there's any question about it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he was pissy. Don't get me wrong. He was pissy because sure. of that non-call uh, against Miles. I mean, he was pissy about it, but I just thought he thought, you know what? What the hell? I might as well right here. I'm going to go off. Yeah. Because, I mean, really, there was no other reason. They had to lead at the time, right, in the third, and that was before everything went haywire in the third for him. And, you know, you know, Contavious Caldwell, nope, got hot in the third, too. So, yeah, I think that had everything to do with that. Yeah, I, I thought that's exactly what it was. You're going to ask him that Tuesday? I, I honestly, I've, I've thought about it, and I thought, well, he's going to say that's get. history, and he probably would he say that? Would he say, hey, you know, that was a long time ago? I, I, I believe he would. Yeah, I, I think yeah, six days is a long time for us to kind of simmer on that one there. So I don't know. I'm, I'm going to gauge how that conversation is going. Um, but yeah, I thought. I mean, Siakam didn't even react really uh, on either end of the floor. He didn't react when he got stripped. And then on the other end, you know, after I I guess it was probably Pope or Reggie Jackson, whoever made the three, it's not like he went over to the official and then, you know, Rick just goes, I mean, that was zero to uh, zero to 60 
safety and you know two seconds to get tossed there so yeah i thought that was i thought that was all defending your new star yeah, that's what Laney's coach did the other night, got tossed with two. It was a much different set of circumstances against <laughs> Wells' team, though. That kind of cost him the game. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't think Rick's cost him the game, but the one that, the two that they got it cost him the game. Siakam? Um, uh, no. I'm trying to think who she would be. She would have been. Be she might have been. You might have been looking for her. She may have been Jairus Walker at the time. Oh, I'm gonna be looking yeah. for. Her. Well, yeah, you might be looking okay. for. Her. So, yeah. Well, yeah, about Walker, yeah. I, 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 and we're surrounded. I listen, in, we're, in that situation, we're just surrounded by. I mean, I shouldn't even say anything. Just I mean, even and I, I never say anything. At the the officiating was haywire. The coaching was haywire. The decision making was haywire. I mean, it's just. It's almost like where I'm from, it's it's like when the hillbillies take over a little bit, right? And everybody starts screaming at one another, and you just go, good Lord Almighty, this is like eighth-grade girls basketball. Can we just have some sense here? So, Sounds like I need to text Wells about this. <laughs> well, well his, guy, his guy was working it like he was Eric Spolstra. He was inserting offense and defense and stuff. And I mean, <laughs> Oh, Brownsburg's not messing around now. Brownsburg's a bunch of – they're a bunch of five-star athletic programs out there. I mean, you guys got Eric Spolster down there. He's taking Layla out for all defense and putting her back in for offense. I'm just saying, you know what? You can just leave her out there. She's good. All right? Just leave her out there. Just leave her out there. She's really good. But uh, who am I, right? I don't know anything. Um, hey, by the way, your partner this morning, make sure you, you correct him tomorrow. The, the whole fell asleep thing on Miles was stupid. He didn't fall asleep. What? Uh, so was that, Shepard that helping there? I'm trying to think back. Oh, no, like, yeah. What, she- what Shepard went that. more than halfway hard to cover, and that's when Miles went across the floor to yeah. Caldwell Pope. He got halfway there, and then Shepard goes back. So I, listen. The only part I don't know, Kev. I don't know if they were trying to double the ball out of Murray's hand, or if that was a switch that Miles was switching and Neesmith didn't. But it looked like that they're trying to double the ball out of Murray's hand. But if you watch, Shepard goes, Shepard goes hard, and then halfway decides to go back. And Tony East agree with me on this too. And then you know you get Miles caught in no man's land, but he he went to sleep. So make sure that Redbeard knows that. <laughs> Noted. Well, I, 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 I don't know. After you two teamed up on me last week. We uh, did, didn't we? Conver- I know. He read the text conversation on air. I believe the exact phraseology that you had sent him was, let's rip his ass. Um, is that accurate? It is. I, I completely text, made it. I completely made it up. Yes, I did. Because I wanted to have a little bit of fun, and uh, yeah, I completely, completely made it up. But I heard that this morning, and I went, man, I said, I know that they don't know basketball in northern Kentucky, but you got to know it better than that. <laughs> Taking a shot at Jeffersonville right now. I, I, I thought, honestly, again, trying to think back to the possession. 27 seconds, I feel like, is what was on the clock when it started. Obviously, the shot clock begins. I, I'm of the thinking there of you just trap your heart out for the first 10 or 15, and if you don't get anything out of it, then then you have to foul, or you just foul right away. It, it just, I don't know. It just seems like Denver is they're just too good to, to, to yeah, well, play it out. And you're missing the guy that you would then go to on the other end of the floor to try and hit you know, whatever, you know, off balance, 1.8 second shot you would have attempted there. I know that they, you largely the game was lost in the third quarter and certainly missing the open look yeah. there. But, you know, when it boils down to a possession like that, you obviously 
pay a lot of attention to it. Well, most teams, including the Pacers, defensively are going to get buried in a two-man with those two guys. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. and I think the best thing that would have happened is had you seen Jokic defer and then, you know, go to, to Caldwell Pope. And that's that's where Miles clearly was was sprinting to when he saw Shepard go to Jokic. You can watch it again. You can see it, too, if you want to. I, I don't know if I would, but uh, I, I don't think they were even hoping for that. But you could have maybe – you know, gotten that out of it, and and clearly, it went haywire. Whatever it was, it was messed up. I mean, it was it was messed up, and there was miscommunication or something going on. But uh, it was is not because somebody was falling asleep for damn sure. So, no, and honestly, you know, Shepard. Well, that's probably the longest stretch of his NBA career. I, I'd be willing to guess Shepard has not gotten a yeah. single fourth quarter minute all year with the game even close to being on the line. And Shepard has earned it. I mean, he. he He's fun to watch. I, I know. I don't know exactly where he fits into the puzzle moving forward, but he, he's a piece. And I love his energy on both ends. And I remember we had Casey Alexander, Belmont's coach, on after the draft. And that was one of the things that he said of, like, you know, when you get scores or you get good shooters at the mid-major level, oftentimes you can kind of expose them on the other end. Like, there's a reason that they're maybe at this level. He's like, that's not the case with Ben. I mean, he, he brings it on that end of the floor. And um, again, I don't know exactly where he is right now because, you know, Buddy only played 22 last night and, you know, got Mather in. Obviously, Halliburton's going to be back at some point, but um, you know, Shepard definitely, I think, earned the look he got last night and delivered in a big way there. You know, you can really see somebody's motor, especially when they they feel comfortable and there's repetition. And we see that, for example, with McConnell all the time. I mean, he feels comfortable going at breakneck. And that's kind of the way I felt about Shepard in that game last night. You could tell that there was a, a comfort zone in him going as hard and as fast, as quickly as possible. And I would have to think that that's, that just takes a lot of time and a lot of repetition to feel that comfortable in a game environment, much less an in-game environment. Yeah, and the thing that impressed me, too, is, again, I like he's been uh, – hell, I remember watching the Summer League being like, God, this guy is like – is he trying to make the team? Doesn't he realize he's a first-round pick and he's probably good? Like, he was full throttle then. And, you know, last night he hits – I think he hit the corner three a little bit earlier in the fourth. And then he make you know, he made the layup after the crazy – you know, he's diving on the floor multiple times to get the ball, and he still makes the layup. Like, oftentimes you see the dudes that just go full throttle – and, and and they can't corral themselves when you know touch is necessary when when you got to make the layup or you got to hit the three and and he did that so um, there there is something to work with there and I, I I do think he'll be a nice piece moving forward. It's a Kevin Bowen morning wake up call with KB and Andy it's weekday morning seven until uh, ten a.m. I didn't I don't know if I left enough time but you you would all surprise maybe this is just kind of the mock draft syndrome. Uh, maybe it's because you're trying to justify in these mock drafts, you know, the Colts, for example, taking a, a wide receiver. I've seen a couple so far suggest that with Michael Pittman Jr. gone, the Colts are drafting. I'm saying, hey, wait, wait, wait. They can draft one and still make sure you keep Michael Pittman Jr. What the hell's wrong with people? Yeah, I, I don't get I mean, you and I are singing from the exact same hymnal when it comes to this one. Yeah, I, I could not agree more with you. It's uh, – <laughs> I haven't been to church since 1979, Kev, so sorry. Yeah, let's just say I I haven't been as frequent of a goer as I I would like to. But uh, nonetheless, um, 
you cannot, and I've said this for months now, and it, it'll be the same thing. Honestly, it'll be the same thing throughout Anthony Richardson, especially his early years. You can't shortcut at the skill positions. You can't skimp at the skill positions. You, like, you, you cannot sacrifice at that spot to go somewhere else and add there. So, yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I'd be very surprised, very surprised if Michael Pittman Jr. was not back with the Colts in 2024. Again, I don't know exactly how it's going to look if, you know, on February 20th when the franchise tags can be – put out if they'll immediately tag them or if they'll wait till March 5th when the deadline is and then, you know, play the long-term deal game throughout the offseason. But, again, I would be surprised. And I think both parties, and I wouldn't say this about everybody on the roster, but I think both parties, Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard, really, really like him. And that's an important piece, of course, when you're trying to project that. So, yeah, I, I do think that – the cap space that is available to them north of 70 million. When you start to map out like their in-house guys, Pittman Jr., Kenny Moore, Grover Stewart, Julian Blackman, you know, even Gardner Minshew, Taekwon Lewis. I mean, it can go in a hurry if you really want to bring back everybody. So that is the only reason why I'm like, okay, I'm a little curious, like exactly how they're going to do all of that. But to me, Pittman's almost, I mean, it's, it's obvious to me that he will be back, um, and I'd be very, very surprised. It's not like, John, you know, I'm trying to think. Mike Evans, T. Higgins, am I missing? Is Calvin Ridley a free agent? And, and yes. It's a hope and a prayer that those three get to, you know, the open market. To me, Mike Evans would scream franchise tag if you're Tampa Bay. Like, just run it back with, you know, him and Baker and don't commit anything crazy, crazy long-term. And then, you know, maybe you do draft a young guy and, Obviously, Cincinnati's going to get into some games where they're starting to pay guys more. Would they franchise tag T. Higgins? Same thing in Jacksonville. So, yeah, I just don't see quality, quality wideouts like those guys. And, you know, they're not, in Pittman's case, he's not some all-pro, but he's a quality, quality wideout, and he means more here than he would mean in a lot of places, and you can't take that for granted. Well, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. has a Green Acres-like farm around here, right, with farm animals and duck blinds and ponds and cricks and everything so right that he's got a family him. plot he yes he is a big outdoors guy he loves it um yeah so <laughs> i guess he got that going for him and, and again you know Pittman. i mean sure there's a business element to all of this and his you know dad played running back in the league for 10 years he certainly he's going to be a voice that says you get paid but you know again the franchise tag and a long-term deal you can provide that for him and I think it'd be just a total disservice to Anthony Richardson to say, you know, here's Alec Pierce, Josh Downs, and the newcomer into your wideout room. Uh, good luck. I, like that, that, that to me is just so short-sighted and would not be supporting him. You know, we have to, you know, help in that development. That was, that was kind of a phrase that Ballard said. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. That was a phrase he said a couple weeks ago. And I thought the use of that we was so critical. It's, You know, Anthony's got to do his part, certainly, but you've got to do your part. And too many times these quarterbacks fail uh, because you don't support them enough early on. Look at Jacksonville. I mean, they helped get Lawrence out of that dark, dark hole he was in in year one with going out and making a move. Um, You know, they climbed right back into it this year. (laughs) I I think the Christian Kirk injury had a ton to do with it. And they, they went out and they overpaid for Christian Kirk. A lot of people said that. And it was Evan Ingram and Zay Jones. They turned, you know, Lawrence into a, oh, my gosh, is he about to be a bust to, you know, they have something. Obviously, they got to get back out of their situation now. But, again, I think when Lawrence and Kirk were healthy, uh, their their numbers were pretty impressive. 
Hey, Kev, do you think when Michael Pittman Jr. is out on his uh, plot of land, he's out there in a, in a duck blind duck hunting when he shoots, does he hear this right here? You recognize that? <laughs> I, I, why do I feel like that's like one more One more time, cool. James. One more time for KB here. I feel like I'm opening up are you too, Nintendo and about ready to plug Are you it in. too young for Nintendo's Duck Hunt? I, I, yeah, I feel like I am. My God, how, how young mean, are I, you? What are you, like 15? I certainly played a lot of Nintendo, but yeah, what? Duck Hunt. I mean, I would have been what? My first Nintendo, the neighbors, the guy who was the backdoor neighbor, their, their sons went to college and they gave me a Nintendo probably 90, ooh, 96, 97. Oh, well, yes, so, man. Wow. What year was Duck Hunt? Uh, what is that, James? 87? 88? Something like that. God, when were you born? 89. What? The heck? Kind of One more time. games that I had. James, what did you have? Uh, Duck Hunt is 1984. Ooh, I'm sorry. Even older. I had an Atari, so I guess that's my bad. Yeah, I, I thought mean, you would get that Duck Hunt sound effect. I can't even say it right. Now, did you hear the cornhole debate that we had earlier today? No, but I do have a perfect pancreas, remember that. But, yes, I did not hear the cornhole debate. Yeah. I did hear that. Please let me hear that. That sounds very northern Kentucky to have a cornhole debate. But go ahead. I was glad to hear about your clean bill of health to lead off the (laughs) – or I should say clean-ish bill of health. Um, All right, so you play cornhole and you go over 21. What happens? Uh, Do you go back, right? Is it kind of like Candyland where you slide down the slide and go back to wherever the hell you were before? See, I say you go back to 13. No, I'm sorry. That's sorry. Had... That's the game sorry where you slide back down yeah, and go sorry, back. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. I say if you go over 21, you go back to 13. We had these national, world-renowned cornhole players commenting that, no, 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 uh, you score and you put the foot on the throat and you try to get as many points possible. I, I've always played the rules of if you go over, you go back to 13. Some people counter and said you go back to 15. Um, but I was I, I was a little taken aback by that. Whoa. I didn't know. So what are you guys, you're getting nationally renowned cornhole participants? What are you guys broadcasting exclusively I down was, there to northern I, I Kentucky, didn't. are you? The turtle man call <laughs> in and tell you how he plays cornhole? We we reach Owensboro. We reach <laughs> certainly Lexington. Wait, where's the Buckies? Is that Richmond, Kentucky? <laughs> We're in all of those markets, thanks to. Weebo, or thanks to Andy, I should say. <laughs> hey, tell well, I'm I'm letting him go right now, but hey, make sure when you have Rick on Tuesday, can you tell him to th- th- spread the wealth a little bit? Give me a little bit of breaking news because I'm really jealous. When you guys get breaking news on a Tuesday morning, and I'm left here kind of holding my perfect pancreas, it's pissing me <laughs> off. All right, <laughs> I will. I will. I will make sure to fly that in there. Yeah, we were very, very, very fortunate for that. Although not the news you wanted to hear yesterday. Awesome, man. Hey, you guys have a good one tomorrow morning, seven until ten a.m. It is KB and Andy, the morning wake up call, right here on the fan. Thanks, bud. Hey, tell your uh, father-in-law hello. We'll have a Neil Diamond listen party sometime soon. Will do. And congrats on the pancreas. All right, man. Thank you, buddy. Thanks. I'm John, and I have a perfect pancreas. Quick break. We're back with the next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
The Ride with JMV. And you're nothing but a chameleon, lemon-headed, coward, talent, and I'm after you, buddy. You're going to pay for it. Good night. Thank you very much, sir. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. James over there. I'm John. Thank you for joining us. Kevin Bowen, that's KB. If... You're talking about tandems. We saw a good one last night, obviously, in Murray and Jokic. Get a good morning tandem with uh, KB and Andy. We day morning 7 until 10 a.m. right here on The Fan. And, of course, Quarian Company. Jake, you get Jimmy, you get Eddie at noon. There is absolutely no reason for you to ever, and I mean ever, go anywhere else than right here. Three times. Now, I'm skeptical. After three, that's when things get a little bit sketchy. But up until that point, man, you guys are locked and loaded with everything you need to know right here on the fan. Meantime, uh, Butler, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, Ninety sixty six at Georgetown. Georgetown is awful. I, I always get caught up thinking about what it once was. And Georgetown in the 80s, the or one of the most feared, I mean, just a badass looking group, the starter jacket. The Nike shoes with Hoyas on the back. Yeah, silver and blue. That's awesome. Ed Cooley's trying to pull them out of the abyss. Uh, it's just not happening right now. 90-66 last night for Thad Modest crew. They got a stretch of games right now if you're a Butler Bulldog fan. If you want to make this thing incredibly interesting, you do it now. Villanova coming up on Saturday at 3 o'clock at Hinkle Fieldhouse and then on the road for Creighton and UConn, which goes without saying. Incredibly tough, but necessary. We talked to Rob Blackman a little bit earlier, the Boilermaker Radio Network, the play-by-play man. No contest last night for the Boilers, 99-67 with Lance Jones going for 24. They beat the Wolverines of Michigan, but it is um, always a difficult route to take. I mean, good, no good, which they basically are this year. At Rutgers on Sunday, that is a 1 o'clock start. And on the road in New Jersey for the Boilers. Uh, Meantime, IU gets Illinois and Champaign. We'll have Don Fisher on the show coming up on Friday for a preview. Uh, That's a 3 o'clock start coming up on Saturday in Champaign with IU and Illinois. My Sycamores are in action coming up later on tonight, too. I saw this. So ESPN is signing a deal with the World Surf League. And again, in terms of it was better when, like this kind of reminds me back when, remember the afternoon when you didn't have all these talking head shows? And I know that these things aren't going anywhere, but I, I really liked that era. I mean, you'd have surfing, you'd have log rolling, you'd have lumberjack games. That was cool. I love that stuff. Oh, I know. You'd have the workout shows. I I am still, to this day, absolutely floored in watching any workout 30-minute program that involves Kiana Tom. It is absolutely embedded in my brain forever. (laughs) So that reminded me, the World League of Surfing. 
It's from Chris. Hey, JMV, I'm sorry if you've ever owned a Nintendo Duck Hunt. That's a must. Someone failed Kevin Bowen growing up. Well, I mean, he talks about this with the timeline of Pascal Siakam not matching up. I don't think the timeline of 1984 and Duck Hunt matches his timeline of being being birthed around 1989. So, I'm sure that's it. Joseph writes this, which starter pullover jacket was more iconic, the Hoyas or the Hornets? I think that from the starter jacket to the shoes, the Nike shoes, and obviously we know that of, of the Air Jordans, the either the red and black or the red, white, and black. I had, you know, the originals, the red, white, and black. I Our team shoe in high school would be the Nike Dunks. Now, that's exactly what St. John's wore with uh, Mullen and Willie Glass. I think the Boo Harvey era, Bill Winnington. But I think you go with both Georgetown. You would just, it didn't matter, right? It didn't matter if you were or not, but if you rocked a Georgetown Hoya starter jacket, you you were just a badass. It was like, oh, wait a minute. I better go ahead and give this dude a wide berth because he's a badass. Loved it. So I would always go Hoyas in a starter jacket. And that gear is awesome. I mean, all of it, too. I mean, you think about it, all of it. Like, the iconic, the New York Knicks starter jacket. Iconic, too. That stuff's great. Uh, JMV, what do you think about this? Coming up tomorrow, it is the official release time of the reboot starring Jake Gyllenhaal of Roadhouse. Yeah. Uh, here's the issue here, right? The issue is I like Jake Gyllenhaal as an actor very much, but... If there is something that should not be rebooted and remade, it is arguably the greatest cinematic feature of all time, Roadhouse. You just don't mess with it. And they are. So you guys will have to tell me how it is. And I'll, tell you, I'll take your advice. If you say that it's something I should watch, I will. Otherwise, I think I'm going to stay away from it. I like Jake Gyllenhaal a great deal. But... I just think you do a complete and utter disservice to the Sways, R.I.P., Sky Point, when you pull something like this. Come on. It's already the GOAT. You don't need to remake the GOAT. All right, quick break. We'll come back. Final time with your calls on the other side. Maybe your chance to win, too. I don't think we've given away the my first name ain't baby. It's Janet Miss Jackson. If you're nasty tickets yet for that June date inside Gambridge Fieldhouse, maybe a time to listen to win coming up on the other side. Tomorrow's show as well, where we're going to be on location tomorrow and Friday. We'll tell you next. Tony East, Kevin Bowen, Rob Blackman, podcast 1075thefan.com, the AAA membership lounge via YouTube Live at 90. 93- 3.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. If peeing your pants is cool, consider me, Miles Davis. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Janet Jackson, Cambridge Fieldhouse, June the 23rd. Nelly opens. Thank you, Live Nation, for the ticket giveaway.
Jimmy Collin, the gang, thank you very much. Number nine, that's your cue to call right there. And the tickets are yours. Jenna Jackson's a great show. You will love it. Again, Gamebridge Fieldhouse coming up in June. Number nine at 239-1070 is going to win. Tomorrow, by the way, too, uh, NBA Jam live at the dugout. So me and Nick and our friends from Michelob Ultra, and you come down and stop in before you're going to the Philly Pacer game off of Fletcher, southeast side, downtown, and play. High score wins just a, I'll put this back in the day term too, a fly pair of Nike Air original Michelob Ultra tennis shoes. You'll love them. They're bad-looking shoes. High score there, and then the uh, winner with that high score advances on to the finals, which is coming up in a couple of weeks downtown at Brothers, where the winner there will get will win the NBA arcade game for you and your home. And also, courtesy of Michelob Ultra, our friends at Zinc, just a variety of incredible tickets to a lot of shows around. Uh, again, tomorrow, that's going to be at the dugout. We'll be at the dugout beginning at 3 o'clock. I would love to see you all down there. Mike Chappell returns to the show coming up tomorrow. Yeah, in fact, I don't know who else is going to be on the show. I did get this today. Um, this is on Monday, so this is still a little bit a ways away. Chad Buchanan, who uh, Magic Johnson gave all the credit in the world to the uh, Chad Buchanan, the Pacers general manager, yesterday on X for pulling off the Pascal Siakam trade. Do I, I think Kevin Pritchard actually answered saying, hey, hey you know, I, maybe I had something to do with it too. So shout, shout out. I'm going to give him hell about that. I think that's funny. Shout out to Chad Buchanan, who clearly had 100% everything to do with the Pascal Siakam trade, according to Magic Johnson. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, Chad Buchanan on Monday. And shout out to Mike and Chrissy for that. Chrissy's awesome. Keith writes this. Hey, JMV, why does the faces made for radio ad suggest I use YouTube to watch and listen? Seems counter to the message. Well, Keith, I tell you this all the time. If you guys are watching right now uh, via the AAA membership lounge, YouTube Live, I want you to watch and listen and participate. And you can check out my chiseled handsome 54 year old perfect pancreas having features triple a membership lounge via youtube live it's not a counter message from me i mean i you know what i'm not going to sell myself short what i got ain't bad right james two thumbs up over here damn straight <laughs> bills at 239-1070 bill welcome to the show JMV, how you doing, man? Bill, I'm great. I'm going to see you at the dugout tomorrow. Manly's Irish Mud on Friday, right? Oh, you know it's it's, it's, a, it's going to be a double hitter. That's the way we're going to. That's where we're going to end up the week. Yeah, we even got a, a little bit of a, a tease here. We, there's even a couple surprises and everything that are. I love the surprises. Gonna, you bring a little surprise in the game, it gets me jacked. What do you got? Well, we're gonna. It's, it's gonna. It's gonna happen. Uh, it's gonna happen tomorrow, and it's gonna happen. I think, if if I'm not mistaken, right about. Five o'clock. The eclipse? No, that's in April. Nope. Okay, I'm sorry. That's, yeah, that, that's in April. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to ask you number one. Uh, the last waltz. Uh, this, uh, 
a difficult segue, but The Last Waltz was my favorite concert movie, and Neil Diamond was in that movie. Uh, number one, what is your favorite concert movie? What is uh, the one that uh, that you that you would go to? And then also, um, uh, as far as the Baseball yeah. Hall of Fame nominees this year, uh, John Mattingly has strikingly similar. Yes, we're ready. That's the joke. To yeah. Joe Maurer, and I think if, if Manley doesn't get in this year, and he's been on the the ballot, I think for 15 straight years, and has not gotten in. And uh, some of the things I read uh, was that he only had four Hall of Fame worthy type seasons. And is that your recollection too? Was he Don Manley was never just yep. an average Joe? He was no, he, he was he was not. And Bill, I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you very much. And it is time to put the Evansville native and Donnie baseball in. I would agree with that. By the way, you mentioned concert films. I would go. Obviously, everybody's going to go with um, Pink Floyd. So I'd go with Pink Floyd. But watch out. This is sneaky good from what? 1988. Rattle and hum and U2 is sneaky good. Curiosity. James, great job out of you. Tony East, Kevin Bowen, Rob Blackman, podcast 1075thefan.com. Tomorrow's show, NBA Jam, Michelob Ultra. Friends from Zinc will be at Nick's place. Fletcher, the dugout. We begin at three. The high score wins the shoes. I'll see everybody down there prior to the Pacer game at the dugout. Have a great night.